0: ponytails podcast here we go
1: Hello and welcome everybody to episode 113, Um, you know, episode three of season five of the Ponytails podcast. We've got an awesome one right here lined up for you today with Lester Crafton, um, a legend um, in his own right with tons of stories, um, 20 years of experience, almost 19 um, of years um, as both a sales manager and someone picking up that green book bag. Lots of great stories from Lester coming up here. Um, so if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Um, this has been a passion project of mine and Andres for the last year and a half, and we're really picking up steam, really bringing this whole network to life of you know book people who haven't really been brought together much at all. Um, a lot of you probably just now found this podcast just to watch Lester's episode. And uh, you know that speaks to his reputation. We're excited to, to learn about um, what he's got going on, but you should definitely check out all those other stories of our prior guests and the guests to come. So um, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook. Um, please share this episode and others that you're, you're checking out. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all, all the good things. So um, as we go live with Lester here in just a second, um, definitely giving you the big shout out for uh, Seth and Zane. Um, Seth Hood, Zane Gallagher with Elevate Wellness um, are one of our favorite sponsors because they're getting me shredded for Bizzler, right? If you're coming to Mexico with us, in August, that's August 15th through the 19th. We're having the first alumni getaway, uh, specifically for everybody who picked up that green book bag to, to just network and connect and have a ton of fun in Mexico. Um, so elevate wellness, um, they'll help you out with getting a grocery list so that you can meet all your macros and, you know, have good nutrition as well as getting like, you know, a really well laid out fitness plan so that when you're actually in the gym, you're making progress and, you know, enjoying your, your gift of one body. So. Get, get your fit on, elevate your uh, life, your mind, and your body in that opposite order. But anyway, yes. Uh, we've got uh, next up, um, Cardinal Senior Benefits. Um, we love working with Cardinal. Um, a ton of book people work with Pedro Vega, Nick Dale, uh, Quentin Roberts. Um, he is really doing a lot for his, uh, for his agents. Um, he was on our um, derby meeting this past Friday and was able to actually like talk about how he invests a ton upfront into the very start of his agent's business. So that way they can have an easy landing strip into the industry. So the industry of course is final expense life insurance. If you're looking to work maybe 20, 25, 30 hours a week and make a six figure income, uh, they don't work uh, cold leads. They work warm leads. Um, So they have like a very easy sales process that uh, a lot of our friends are currently enjoying by working with Quentin. So um, we'll put you in touch with them. Um, If you or someone you know would like to work in the industry with them uh, it's a 500 referral bonus and uh, for five referrals going to uh, cardinal senior benefits one of those five referrals will actually get a, a trip to bizler in august so um, get excited for them and that um, of course i'm super excited about will metcher uh, so i had my um, you know personal first uh, coaching call with will um, he works with southwestern consulting of course um, he's been coaching our podcast for a while, but in my solar sales with Enlight, um, I actually am starting to like rise up to you know a higher level of management, and you know have you know a greater need to take care of my schedule and all that stuff. So I just hired Will on for full time work on my Enlight career and life. Um, so if you love working with someone like Will, um, the biggest thing that he offers is a chance for you to make that same impact that he's making to me. Um, so I love working with Will. Um, you know, I sometimes wish I could be a coach with him. Um, the people that he hires on to work with him, like Andy Laws, Daniel Burke-Aguero. He's been working with um, Andy uh, uh, Andy Laws and uh, Anthony Merkel. Um, they're, they're all killing it in that uh, neck of the business. And uh, if you want to work with Will, we'll get you in touch with him. And uh, yeah, you need to work with Will. He's really good at what he does. So um, right now we're going to bring on Lester just to chat about what he's been up to and everything going on with um, his story with Southwestern. And we're excited to have him on. So as I to bring him on here, um, just to brag about this guy with him on the screen, um, Lester is, again, a living legend in his own right. He spent 19 years with Southwestern. Um, you know, he was a top producer of, of his own, but the really um, impressive stuff came from what he built in his organizations. So was it Gunslingers or Axis that you were in charge of? Was it both? Uh, I wasn't in
0: charge of any of those people. They're pretty. Let
1: let me hear. Was it TD? I I just get mixed up. I mean, I remember
0: naming Axis and naming TD. You know, (laughs) (laughs) like Axis was just something we came up with for fun because uh, there was that war going on in Iraq, and George Bush said something about the Axis of Evil. So so Matt Ross, KJ, and I decided we would be the Axis of Evil at Southwestern. So we just (laughs) bring into Axis, and then. We got pushed back for that because it was too edgy, so we just renamed our group Total Domination.
1: That's right. Well, uh, the <laughs> legacy still lives to this day. We got Matt Ross, who's uh, you know a close friend of yours. He's you know leading the charge there with some other awesome leaders, and That's uh, story it's been about Matt. yeah. Well, it's it's been really cool knowing um, some of the people that you've worked with in your time uh, creating district sales managers like John Carey. Um, and Matt Ross, and you know, all these other people. At one point, you had like a 300, 500 person organization, something crazy. There's like a that. lot of
0: people. I have no idea. Yeah, Not nearly as lot many of- as people who actually good. I spent most of my time sitting around, you know, wishing I hadn't quit because that 20th summer might have really made the difference in my life, you know. So for the last seven years, I've been sitting around thinking, God, why am I such a quitter?
1: What do you mean by that? Let's start there. I mean, why not? This is this is interesting. We can totally flip it
0: on its head because it I guess sarcasm is Sarkelle's not a good way to start a conversation. Like, <laughs> uh, well, I do think that everybody that quit Southwestern, you know, we're all quitters, right? Quit right. Alumni is just a different word for quitter. You know, a lot of people, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people quit uh, when they get that first phone call and don't show up at an info session. A lot of people right. quit the first day follow up. Most people, you know, most people have already quit by the time they get to cell school. But a couple quit there. Then more quit the first few weeks. Then more quit before their second summer when they find out it's hard to recruit. Or if they recruit, oh, they yeah. find out it's hard to lead, and they quit after that. And a few people, you know, they're crazy enough or depraved enough or fractured enough or whatever enough to stay at it for a long time, like I did. So, and uh, Wishing I hadn't quit because the twentieth summer just kind of like a joke because there's always. But at the same time, if I had, for me personally, I would not be able to do what I'm doing today without all of that time. And there are lessons that come up from all that forever. So I don't, know, one of the biggest okay. things I think sales managers just get way too much credit. Like I didn't really do anything. Like I think time is told that I was working with some pretty exceptional people. I mean, you look at, I mean, hell, Brandon Devlin just raised $65 million for his company to go out and, you know, buy houses, you know, at with cash. You know, uh, Peter Sturdivant sold an uh, insurance company. Brian Talby's hanging out with Richard Branson. Adam Outland's right. doing great with what he's doing. Um, you know, John works with me. So, you know. But I just so, worked uh, with, you know, I could go on and on and on and on forever. If you ask me about a specific era, I can tell you yeah, about the people uh, I worked let's, with.
1: kind of, sorry if uh, the connection here has us speaking over a little bit. I'll be sure to let you speak a bit more mind. when I ask you your questions. So um, the the first question that uh, was kind of ghost written, um, let's hear about some of your best Sizzler stories. Um, I'm not sure if you're <laughs> <happy>. <laughs> right? you know, there's, there's plenty of crazy things that happen on Sizzler. First of all, did you go to every single one? Um, in yeah. Vietnam, the Southwestern? yeah, my body was there. Dang. So uh, 19, 19 Sizzlers, yeah. that's a, a pretty long list. Where was your favorite Sizzler at?
0: I don't remember. Uh, I really don't remember where <laughs> we were at. They all kind of seem the same to me. I remember right. that things like, I remember how hot the sand was in Costa Rica. But other than that, they're all sort of a blur in my mind. And after like the, once you actually start having a lot of people there and you're a little bit older, then it goes to more of a work trip than a pleasure trip. You're just hoping yeah, somebody's But I'll stick to my early days. My later days, all kinds of crazy stuff happened. But in the early days... Um, I just think a lot of people get boring, right? Like that's a sad. Part. <laughs> like they go do well, but they're really boring. Like I remember fifty naked people on a beach as a scissor tradition. You know, I think these guys go around like speedo amigos is like that's some me. risky thing, you know. But back in my era, like Wednesday night scissor trip, there were however many people that were adventurous souls running around naked on the beach and then getting kicked out of the ocean, walking naked to the hotel. And those fine people have gone on to do lots of things like being a CEO of a company that we're familiar with or, you know, going on to be VPs of sales or starting their own businesses. Like these are people who are doing great in the world.
1: Oh yeah. man,
0: they used to be so much more interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in uh, in terms of Sizzler, were there any like trips to the hospital or, um, you know, stories with crazy police happenings? We've had people talk about like, Jeep driving into, you know, breaking a breaking down a Jeep on a on a stream, you know, uh, Yvette was telling us about something like that. What are what are some of the more like memorable events from a sizzler that you can speak to?
0: I remember the Great American Smokeout one year where all the weed that we had left over at the end of Sizzler, we rolled up into one gigantic joint and passed it around a room for like 25 people. That was pretty memorable (laughs) before I ever (laughs) um i remember uh you could always you could always bribe uh cops in mexico i don't really think that's noteworthy you know where you're speeding here's 20 bucks whoo that's a big story like i don't like i remember being there whenever somebody walked up and punched somebody in the face and got us all in trouble and i was kind of responsible for that because i thought the guy had stolen a 100 dollars off of a drink i was like, having a contest with somebody about drinking we thought this guy took it so this dude walked up and just punched him in the face it was kind of crazy um but stuff like that but everybody's seen that kind of crap on scissor right just dumb drunken behavior i don't really have any great scissor stories you can let people talk about that who scissor was a highlight of their southwestern career
1: so here's here's some specific stuff um do you want to speak more about like how you got into southwestern or uh, Matt Ross, in particular, wanted to hear about the summers of 1999 to 2002 on the book field. Uh, I think we can talk about all
0: of it. I got recruited by Kevin Johnson, which is like, how lucky am I, right? You right. Know, how <laughs> KJ. Could you, oh, KJ. How could you possibly get luckier than having a sales manager like KJ? And in 99, um, it was really like I recruited some friends. And the, I started in 96. So Kevin called me. I was getting ready to go out and see a movie with these two girls that live uh, at our dorm and i kevin called me he's like you've been recommended to me as a possible candidate for a summer internship program which is actually true for me because i was on the back of a green sheet and i was mad that all of my friends had been getting all these jobs actually that doesn't work on ponytail so that that just broke up i don't know where i was in the story so anyway Kevin called. It's like, you've been recommending to me as a candidate for summer internship. And the first thing I ever said to my student manager was, well, I should have been because I'm damn good. Like, and really it sounded extraordinarily arrogant, but I was just mad that my friends were getting these cool jobs and I wasn't. So can you still hear me okay? Yeah. Can and I was you like, know. I was like, I should have been recommended because I'm really good, Kevin. And he said, <laughs> and I said, but I'm getting ready to go out with these two girls right now. So I'm going to need to call you back. And he said, Lester, I made 15 grand last summer. You need to listen to me. I'm like, all right, girls, I'll catch up with you later. So (laughs) I went to an info session. I tried to back out. Chris Samuels turned me around by talking to me about, like, what you'll someday be you're now becoming. Like, where do you want to be when you're 30? What gives you the confidence to think that you're going to be there? So that was kind of, I got lucky twice. I got lucky once. KJ was my student manager. I got lucky to have Samuels as a sales manager because he's like ice man. I mean, he just, no mistakes, ice cold. Did everything absolutely right, which would allow for enough madness like me and KJ and Matt Ross and Brandon Devlin all like working together to do, you know, do things, doing being crazy. But we got this steady dude there. Uh, and he turned me around. So I've been, I thought about Southwestern from a long term perspective from the day that I decided to do it. So whenever I decided to do it, it was never about let me go out and see if I can make some money this summer. It was about, you know, let's, what can I become through this process?
1: Yeah, man. Um, you probably said to yourself in that moment, "I'm gonna do this for 20 years." Exactly. And then you, you know, gave up. Exactly. On it. Oh man. <laughs> so yeah, what actually led to you spending that much time there? Was it just because, like, you know, working with uh, KJ was obviously like you two were, you know, hand in hand and building your organizations out together? Um, there are some other people along the way. Like, what were some of the biggest reasons that kept you going?
0: I Many goats by so fast. It's just an incredibly fast thing. And it's not like yeah. I didn't have terrible summers. I had some God awful summers. 99 was good cause 98 was terrible, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I always had to have pretty big failures to learn. I haven't been very coachable going into something. So I'll go out and suck and then I'll learn and then I'll be really good at it. So whatever.
1: Gotta love the strong internet connection. Um, yeah. year, you were, you were talking about how, um, you know, you had good and great and terrible summers, just yeah.
0: To, yeah, terrible know,
1: fail at something along the way, just to get good. at.
0: This is temporary. And, but the biggest thing is I have friends. I had really good friends. I got lucky in that the people I worked with early on were my friends. That's the way I built an organization, right? Like in 99, I recruited Chris Foster, Dave Lemon, Paul Costco, and a couple other folks. And Dave and I, Paul, some NFT crypto guy now, and Chris and Dave are both high end money managers in Charlottesville and Raleigh and doing great. So, again, I just got lucky to work with really talented people. And um, then the summer of '99 was amazing. I ran into work with Matt Ross. And that was like the Ric Flair summer. I'll have to tell you a Ric Flair story if you want to hear how it became the Ric Flair. Yo, story.
1: this is this is something that I've been pre warned about. Ric Flair. Who is this person? How really just about like, something is about Rich? pretending to be Ric Flair on stage? You,
0: you, you don't know who the Nature Boy Ric Flair is. The Nature Boy, please <laughs> in gold. He's a sixteen, maybe he's an eighteen time world champion professional wrestler. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he's the greatest of all time. Anybody that's watching this who knows Ric Flair. And he's also
1: my gosh, what am I? He's also
0: an absurdity of a human being. (laughs) Like he's just full of crazy one-liners and just wild stuff. So remember in 19. So I'll tell you the Ric Flair story. This is the best story of, of my life in terms of just a progressing sequence of events that led to good stuff later on. So I'm trying to study with for an operations exam, not like operating, but like the stuff that I still have trouble doing, like make sure this box get. that all the stuff out of blah blah. So I'm trying to study for an operations exam. Matt Ross calls me. I don't even know how he got my number because it's before cell phones or knew where I was in retrospect, but he called me at my friend's house where I was. He's like, Hey, Rick Flair is gonna make some big announcement tonight. Uh, do you think we should go? And wrestling at the time, this was the zenith of the professional wrestling where it was kind of culturally acceptable, late 90s.
1: <laughs> WWE
0: got your uh... – Steve Austin, Goldberg, just all this pro wrestling stuff, right. right? So I've been to the Super Bowl. I've been to the Final Four. I've been to all kinds of events. I have never been to anything other than this event where there were no tickets to be had. And I know that because when that said, should we go? I said, of course we should go. So I stopped studying for the exam. I think I made a D yeah. on it. Um, <laughs> went to the, which is why I saw trouble with operations. And we go to the Dean Dome, which is the, the arena where the thing is yeah, going, there are no it. tickets to be had. I think we stopped by a liquor store and got some airplane bottles before. So we're already feeling pretty good. We go, we try to scalp tickets, no tickets are there. So then we're like, well, how are we gonna get in? And we walk, are you ready for a long story? This is going to be a five to 10 minute story. I'm ready for it. I'm in it. So we keep walking around and um, we make it to the backstage entrance. And so we walk in and we're in there with all these wrestlers and all this stuff. Like we're backstage And then somebody's like, what the hell are those guys doing here? The cops are like, get out of here. So would have been a pretty good story at that point. But we keep knocking and knocking and knocking, knock on the front door, you know, because no means next, right, Nick?
1: Yeah, man. And then
0: You knock on, we went to the front door. I'm like, they're like, do you have tickets? I'm like, nah, we don't have any tickets. So how can we get in? He's like, if you don't have any tickets, you can't get in. And so that motivated us. Like when somebody says you can't do something, if you're a legit book person, long as it's not rapey you want to do it right like like, tell me that tell me no and then i'm going to find a way and so we saw the bread door the door we see the bread door opening so the bread door is where the hot dog buns and the hamburger right for for the concessions and so we're like there's our chance door opens we fly inside we sneak inside the event we find some empty seats and we're enjoying it. Rick Ric Flair makes his big speech. And I'll tell you a little bit about that because it becomes relevant in cell school. You know, in his speech, he's talking about, we thought he was going to retire because he's old as dirt. And that's why we decided to go. We're like, oh, we'll go see Rick Flair's retirement. But instead he said, he stands up and he goes, Hulk Hogan, I'm building a 15 foot high steel cage with barbed wire on top and two men. Man's Every walking, out, and it's not going to be you, pal. Whoa! <laughs> he's always going woo is me. And so we're pretty fired up. Like, wow, that was a great speech. And so Matt looks over, and this is the part where I get confused. I don't remember if I asked Matt or if Matt asked me, right? But Matt, I think I think I asked him because he's got more courage than I do most of the time. So I was like, all right, Matt, when this is over, we can either go backstage where we were, or we can go get in the ring what do you want to do? And he goes, the <laughs> and oh so, my we walk, God. so we walk down. There's still probably 1500 people there. A lot of people are filing down to get close to the shrine, you know, the wrestling ring. Sure. And so we're sitting there on this fence. Everybody's thinking about doing it, which is how life usually works. There's a lot of people sitting around thinking about doing something. And then, and so this cop looks over at us, he goes, don't even think about it. And so I go, why? And he goes, because you'll be going to jail with those guys, and points up at the real cops. And yeah. and I said, how long will we be there? And, and so I mean, it's a good follow-up question, right? And so right. He, he says, it depends on how much bail you can post. And so I said, Matt, I've got some money. How about you? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and time the fence opens up. We jump in the ring, Matt like suplexes me, rips my pants. Like we're and then there's this guy climbing into the ring to like take it down. He goes, Get out of the ring, get out of the effing ring. But he didn't didn't say effing, you know. And so we jump out of the ring, we start running up the steps, get stopped by the real cops, get handcuffed, and then the the rest of the crowd that's sitting there starts chanting, let them go, (laughs) Let go. (laughs) let them go, and then some giant man like I've never seen before dude had to be close to seven feet tall, just a mountain made me feel like a little little of pollution. And um, he looks down and He goes, what in the hell were you thinking? And I said, I was thinking when the next time some when's the next time some fat ass like me is going to have a chance to jump into a WCW nitro ring. And if I had a chance to do it again, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. You're you're (laughs) crazy. That's hilarious. So he starts laughing. We get sent backstage. So this is near the first. This is like a three part story. Okay. Sneak into nitro. We jump in this and we get sent backstage with cops. One of the cops recognized Matt. Because I always get the story confused. But Matt had taken some dare with some other friends he had. Drank like a fifth of, like killed a fifth of whiskey or something. Got sent to student health. This is why he doesn't drink anymore for the last 15 years. He's not boring, even though he doesn't drink. Anyway, so, but at the time, that cop had picked him up from the parking lot or something. So he's like, oh, Mr. Ross, not surprised to see you back here. So we thought we're just screwed. But some. Couple. and so we decided to go up to Franklin Street to tell everybody about this like man we just jumped into Detroit this is crazy and while we're, Franklin Street's the place in Chapel Hill North Carolina where all the bars are and so we hear while we're at one bar this is um that Rick Flair was at this other bar with two women in the bathroom it's so like this is real and so we <laughs> walked up to this bar and sure as hell dude walks out with two women from the women's bathroom, right. As we're walking in. And so there's this book girl. who was a, fr- a friend of ours, Lori, uh, her name's Lori. And she's a very attractive young lady and she's confident because she's a book girl. Right. So she walks up to Ric Flair and part of Ric Flair's persona is all the women want him, you know, and one of his lines he's talking about his genitalia, I suppose, but he calls it space Mountain. And he goes, the thing about Space Mountain is it's the longest ride in the park, but it's still got the longest lines. So Matt puts Lori up to going up to talking to Ric Flair. And Lori walks up to him and says, so what's this I hear about Space Mountain? And He goes, <laughs> take a number, honey. <laughs> he just doesn't respond to her at all. I was like, this guy never leaves character. Buys Buys a shot for the entire bar. And we think, That's man, awesome. this is you know we got we met rick flair ball shots go out to other places leave there and then go to timeout chicken and timeout chicken's the place where you eat at three o'clock in the morning every college town has that place this is the right. place in chapel hill and there's like a limo out front it's been two or three hours since we left top of the hill after jumping in the ring after getting a rest, after seeing out of that stuff you know and so rick flair is there with his women and some dude and matt and i are sitting there and Rick Flair has two more, three more lines you have to understand in order for this to be as funny as it could be. One is he's always saying things like, "There's a lot of women in Charlotte, North Carolina tonight. None of them can be first, but woo, they can all be next." And so <laughs> that was, I had a I had a sticker on my card now. That I think about it my fourth summer. It says, "You can't be first, but you can be next." You know,
1: that's awesome
0: and, <laughs> for selling books in particular. And- for selling books yeah because you can't be first but you can be next and you can all be next and so another line he has is to be the man you got to beat the man another line that he has is i forgot but uh, that that's good enough and so matt says all right i'm gonna start that you gotta you gotta do this and for however it turns out i end up standing up and i said "Time out, chicken and i'm here matt's here one of our other friends is here rick flair's like diagonally across from us with his people and i said "Time out, chicken there's a lot of women in Chapel Hill, North Carolina tonight. None of them can be first, but, whoa, they can all be next. And he stood up. He said, you better set your drunk asses down before I kick both your asses. Who's the baddest son of a bitch here, pal? It's me. Whoa. And I oh said, I'm Because to be the man in the whole restaurant goes, you've got to beat the man. And That's he goes, awesome. I'll fuck both your girlfriends and turn their worlds upside down. Whoa. And I just started rolling on the floor, dying, laughing. But wow. <laughs> it was just an absurd life experience. from Yeah. From an operations exam to sneaking in, to jumping in a ring, to getting arrested, to going up, seeing your friend get rejected by the nature boy, and then getting into <laughs> a verbal altercation and being asked to leave. But it was a great night. Yeah, and everybody. what that led to, he's got another line about whether you like us or you don't, you better learn to love us. But their president's club the line at cell school used to be have a lot of decorum to it. It was like, you got your pseudo and you're going to president's club dinner. You know, it's like, I'm somebody from some school at president's <laughs> club so many times. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You know? And so we'd already prepared our organization for this. And we were like, sitting, my group was sitting in cell school and <laughs> it was like, nobody knew what was going on, but I went up on stage and, uh-huh. brick flare <laughs> uh-huh. and i was like, i was like there's 22 people walking into wisconsin this summer and at the end of the summer there's 22 people walking out and whether you like us or you don't you better learn to love us cuz we're the best org going today and the whole org stands up because Whoa! And we only had 21 people finish and every student manager won growth award and all scissor trip. Like, I think that's awesome. It was amazing. And it started a great run, you know, and it really was about being absurd, being way over, like, there's not a more over the top, probably misogynistic, like toxic masculine character in existence than Ric Flair being today's thing. If you want to use the woke language, then that's Ric Flair. But he's also a highly. Inter- Lots of energy. So when you're sure. trying to teach somebody about enthusiasm, you're trying to talk somebody about presence, you know, unstoppable confidence. It was just a really great interaction that led. And I started getting pulled off. this. I forgot about this. I was, Dave Causer, who's a lovely guy started trying to pull me off the stage she's like it's over it's over because i have like the white, like my whole org so going, whoa and he's like you're destroying dacaro like don't do this it's <laughs> over last turn and it was like see all those people behind you that saw more than you you better go sell a lot of bugs with all the shit you're talking like this is ridiculous That's and so, so- and so Dave Causer, because he pulled me off, became our arch enemy that summer. So I recorded some customers, I paid some customers' kid to record <laughs> some WCW Nitro, some Ric Flair segments that summer. And we that went to a awesome. Sunday meeting, and I'm like, Are you guys ready for some advanced sales? And I put it Dave Causer's advanced sales, and everybody starts booing. Like, Boo! <laughs> 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 I'm like, I don't want to watch this crap either. We took it out, VHS tape, and we all stomped on it. I'm like, you guys ready for some real event sales? And we put a replay there, and everybody went crazy. <laughs> what we an amazing week, you know? But those are oh, just, man. it was just fun. So you asked me, how did I stay with it for so long? It was just fun. You know, there's yeah. there a lot of things I, I did. I don't really have regrets, but I have like, man, God, that was kind of stupid, or that was over the top, or I really shouldn't have done that you know maybe should have said that anything, anything that i've ever said or done that caused someone to believe you know that i was against them uh you know and they had that in their head you know i wish i could erase all that but i did the best i could it's amazing amazing it ever worked out at all but i stayed as long as i did cuz i had really good friends you know kj sure. matt brandon and then eventually john and before that alex and chris and paul and dave and you know there's just there are just a lot of people that I really, really, really enjoyed working with and it became a passion. I'm like, how could I be really good at helping these people do really well and get another chance every year?
1: Yeah, man. And uh, you kind of took a, a weird edge to it. The absurdity is uh, not a very common angle for most people. So uh, what were some of like the other things like how you ran your business in particular that were particularly countercultural within southwestern or like like stirred the pot any sort of
0: controversies um that you care to care to talk about I, I mean, I just we, yeah i mean i don't know there were a lot of controversies uh but you know maybe there were i remember getting in trouble a lot of different times like one time um i was at a sales manager meeting and they were asking like well how do you get student managers back after the summer like how do you get people to come back for another summer and um, so I'm like, well, one of the things that I do, and I am a big fan of using absurd over the top analogies because they fit, they work right. Like
1: especially when you're doing absurd things like traveling across the country to sell kids books door to door.
0: Right. Like it fits. And also you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds. I think people forget that there's not that much 18 to 22 year olds are thinking about like right. very deeply. They're, they're thinking about who, who Oh, oh, oh. I mean, you're just so (laughs) great with hormones that if you can't use like what they're thinking about to connect with them, you really lost the battle. So I remember being a sales manager meeting. I'm like, well, one of the things, and I could have picked a better analogy. Like I could have said this, not (laughs) like this, but I said, well, when I'm meeting with someone and they're telling me they don't want to sell books again, I'm like, well, I hear you, Nick. Um, So this is what I hear when you're saying that. So Nick, you're telling me you don't want to sell books again. If I looked at you and said... I don't want to have anal sex with you again. What would you say,
1: Lester? We've never had anal sex before,
0: right? Like the the the, the, you're right. We've never we've never done this, and I feel. So the problem with this statement is the "again" part. Like you don't want to have anal sex with me again. I don't want you to sell books again because you haven't done what I'm talking to you about doing. Like whatever you did this summer, I'm not talking about doing that. Again, I'm talking about actually going out and doing well. So it was just a really off-color way of, uh, talk, <laughs> of illustrating the word again and creating a pattern interrupt for like nonsense sales talk that somebody had been thinking of since week six of the summer when they got off schedule, you know?
1: So you probably pissed off a few people uh, from that analogy, huh?
0: I remember that I got in trouble with... Uh, I actually learned a lot through this because I remember Nate Vogel, who's gone on to do great things in Silicon Valley. So he understands Decorum. I was very just troubled by uh, by this analogy, as any good human being would be. And uh, (laughs) Henry told me about it and said he was really upset. And I'm like, I'm really bothered by people who get bothered by such little things. And he goes, well, doesn't that? And then Henry said, "Well, doesn't that make you somebody who's bothered?" <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> "Fuck yeah, you're right, Henry. Good point." Like, so you know, it's like, oh, here I am being a super hypocrite, being bothered by Nate, being bothered by me whenever I'm trying to teach somebody how to use the word again in a way that they could obviously tone down if they wanted to, but it's just about <laughs> you know <laughs> how to use this word. So yeah, uh, but as far as like real trouble, I never really got into much like real trouble.
1: Yeah that's uh it's always interesting um being in like those sales manager meetings right you, you use that like amongst other sales managers i know that you're still close with matt um are there any other sales managers and I, yeah. of course john well,
0: um, of, course, of course john you know uh, and i sometimes joke that you know i worked with like 1500 people to find the one person <laughs> that, right you know i could and so uh, but yeah Brandon's still a friend I, I spent with him last summer I saw KJ last week and hung out with him for a day you know uh, Pedro I end up talking to two or three times a year you know he was a sales manager he uh, awesome I, I listened to Samuel's podcast uh, or Samuel's son's podcast basketball podcast oh cool that's good um, Aaron Schaefer heck yeah I haven't talked to in a year and a half but he bought solar from us and um virgie i think is a wonderful human soul i don't think there are very many people in the world that are better than virgie when it comes to just honesty and heart and goodness she's just a good human being i don't talk to you that much but if I saw Yvette, we could hang out for hours. You oh, know? yeah.
1: The two of you have said some of the best things about each other that I've ever heard anybody say
0: about any other person. So. <laughs> She's just amazing. You know, we had to go to South Africa together. We were, yeah. you know, it's what happens when you're doing well at the same time as another person. Yvette and I were both doing well at building an organization right. at, at about the same time. And it also happened to be a time where there wasn't a lot of stuff going on in the organization. that was super great. So it was like standing out, felt good. Yvette's amazing. Like She is. But, but she can't help it. Nebraska's amazing. So if you come from Nebraska, you don't have much of a choice but being awesome.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, our, the place the most summer. of our team is uh, on the podcast made of Nebraskans. So uh, go Big Redder or something like that. Um, my
0: summer in Grand Island. That was amazing. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So that was your second or third summer, right? Second summer, yeah. That was after second I summer.
0: went out. Did all right my first summer, but. You know, try to do it my own way, which is a, then I have to learn how to do it the right way. And then I can do it my own way again. But the um, yeah second summer, I decided to be on schedule. Imagine that, like actually doing any suicide calls and using a goal card and mm-hmm. really being on schedule and doing short demos and doing an introduction and closing and all these amazing things. So I went from like never having a 30 customer week my first summer to averaging like 50 or 60 my second summer. Dang. And I, I give all the credit to Nebraska. It had nothing to do with me. Plat maps and Nebraskans. <laughs> good place. Hey,
1: I'll, I'll give Nebraska a shout out. Love my home state because they are the only state in the U.S. that is in top ten for both uh, K through 12 education as well as college education. Nice. So the educational system in Nebraska is aggregate, like top five, top six in the nation
0: every year. So. Those kids must have used those books from '96. Yeah.
1: Good. <laughs> Raising, uh,
0: raising those IQ nice points. Up. Yeah. So, I mean, so anyway, that's Nebraska. I love Nebraska. What else you want to talk about? Those are some stories. I've already said like five or six cuss words. Sorry about that, but they're in uh, contact.
1: Please, by all means, we uh we let it we let it fly. So uh when it when I think of uh, other people who have uh you know relationships on the sales manager side of things, um I was just in Jacksonville, like five minutes away from Mark Rau's house um what's your what's your uh, relationship with Rao like
0: <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have a relationship with route um i don't have not a relationship with route like i mean there was times like if you're talking about the 1999 to 2003 era there's like being at a president's <laughs> club dinner and like everybody from eagle blitz is like i just did this for brian ross who's awesome Brian and Mark, you know, I did this. They I brought 20 people for Brian. I like to think Brian and Mark. And it was like a progression, like never-ending did this for Brian and Mark. So Matt and I decided that we were going to stand up and thank Mark Rao and Brian Ross too, just because we thought it was funny. Like it just was so robotic that we're like, okay, maybe we should think Brian and Mark. And so we thought we had some kind of problem with them, but the truth is. I think that the proof is in the pudding, and I think that Mark Rao, without question, has been the best sales manager in Southwestern's history. He's still there, right? Like, yeah, he's
1: the uh, director of U.S. sales. Yeah,
0: I mean, at least in the normal era, they're like. And the one thing that I appreciate about Mark is that he never pretended. He doesn't pretend. Yeah, that's that, very true. You know. Like he very much believes that the world is a certain way and the way to compete and win in this world is to develop a certain set of characteristics. Part of those being yelled at by your supervisor and dealing with it, you know, and <laughs> and like doing what you say you're going to do, even no matter how hard it is. And if you don't do it exactly right, then that's your fault. And there's validity in all of that, especially if you're going to be plugged into the machine that is our current way society is structured so as far as preparing people for corporate america i don't think it's possible to be better than mark and i'm glad that he did the job that he did because heck i can think of pedro and quentin you just named and matt i mean off the top of my head we have three customers from eagle blitz that had no problem (laughs) paying for solar because they're doing really well because of the stuff that mark Rao taught him but maybe younger on i know that mark probably like I, I, I'm fat from COVID. Sometimes I get fat. Sometimes I'm skinny. I got to go back and forth. So I know Mark doesn't think I have much respect for myself because of the way I, you know, spend all my time feeding my brain and don't spend a lot of time feeding my body well. Mm-hmm. So um, at least I've heard that. I don't know that. But I have nothing but respect for Mark and I love the people that he worked with. And it was cool because we were different enough that it showed people that you didn't have to be exactly one way in order to have a career. You know, I was yeah. just, I just... I probably from the time I started being decent as a sales manager, I really started caring a lot about the stated mission, right? To, I, at the, which at the time was to be the best organization in the world at helping young people develop the skills and character they need to reach their goals in life. And so, so once goal in life is to do really well in corporate America, I don't think anybody does that better than Mark. I don't have anything bad to say about Mark. Ralph. I think he's great.
1: Yeah. I love it. Um, just, uh, had a specific request to ask that question. Um, you, you bring up the mission statement and, uh, you know, I, I've always loved it, you know, and uh, what I found out from my roommate, who's a current bookman, um, he's been full-time recruiting this year. And it, when they go over that slide in the slideshow of what the mission statement is, it is to be an organization that helps young people um, to develop the skills and character uh, to reach their goals in life. Um, or simply just to do that. And so they took out the best organization in the world. Um, So what are your thoughts on that amendment of
0: such a mission statement? Well, from a uh, high level standpoint, I think that it points towards the philosophically, probably the only path that they'll ever have to get there. Because to be the best is being comparative. And you're looking around at what all these other organizations are doing. Instead of just being an organization that does that, if you're an organization who does that and does it well, imagine you're going to do pretty well, you know? Nah. Well, here's something I want to riff about that I've never heard an alumni talk about before. If you're down to hear about it. Let's hey, hear it.
1: Freestyle.
0: You know, I think that a lot of people, I've said this before, at GRS many times ago, but when people talk about their Southwestern experience, you got to realize they're not really talking about Southwestern. What they're talking about is their personal experience selling books at the innermost level. And then they're talking about their their relationship with their roommates because those are the second most important. Then, then they're talking about their relationship with their student manager and team. Then they're talking yeah. about the relationship with their organization. Then they're talking about the relationship with their sales manager. And then they're talking about Southwestern, but they say Southwestern. And I don't think anybody that's ever met anywhere close to being the same humans right like that's just wired differently but to say southwestern and to me me and mark and matt and everybody else it's just it's kind of like crappy but the thing that i think is underappreciated about southwestern is this is that we started we all know it we all know the company started out selling bibles but think about what that meant in like the early 1900s right Like there was no internet. There's no Christopher Hitchens. There were no atheists. There were no (laughs) religions bad. If they were around, they just didn't say anything because at the time church was the, that was Facebook. It's where you went on. Going on in your community. You know, it also was the only time, no matter what job you were doing, where you sat around for an hour and you heard people talk about how do we become better people that are better servants of humans? There's an eternal quality to that. And I say all of that to, set up the societal context in which these kids were going out selling these Bibles. So, Hmm. you know, how much guilt people have from like not being on schedule, it can be traumatizing for years. You know, there are people that can be messed up for a long time from one summer because they felt like they weren't enough from their experience, either because of their experience or because of some leadership or Southwestern or whatever. Um, But if you were doing something good, like you knew that what you were doing could potentially keep somebody from going to hell, right? Like that, this is the good book. Like, and if they don't use the book, that just means they're a heathen. It doesn't mean you sold them a book that wasn't useful, which you feel bad about when this family doesn't use their books, which you can actually show them how to use the books if you want to, and not have to have that. But most people would rather have an excuse to not go see the next person. So nobody uses the books, but think about the Bible. Bible's like, you're gonna use it if you don't, it's on you. It's your eternal life, but at least I put it in your hands, right? And so, what does that mean about skipping a door? It means if you skip a door, you're literally having a conversation, an eternal consequence type converse like situation. If you're wow. not willing to go do your very best, I have never part. thought about it like this. This yeah, is I haven't so heard anybody talk about it like that, but think yeah. about it-like that goodness of this effort. And what you're doing without the context of it being religious, like, and you see people leave Southwestern and have some of the same hangups as people who live different religions. You know, it's the same, you hear them say the same stuff. And it's because of that. And if you recall, Southwestern doesn't have like a training program. What we really have is that each one teach one. Your student manager teaches you, teaches you, teaches you, teaches you. Yeah, we have cell school. But by week seven, does any organization look anything like cell school? <laughs> you know, like what it was supposed to be? Of course not. You know, right. it's just um, but that's I call it zealotry. But contextually, societally makes perfectly good sense given the product that's being sold. It also means everybody's a prospect. It's something that's affordable for everybody. And so when you start to see people get really confused about their Southwestern experience, it basically all starts when we started selling books, educational books. And then we started, because then you had to mark people off your pre-approach map. It just doesn't feel good to mark people off a pre-approach map. One of the, even though nobody ever copied it, so he sold to everybody. Dave, Dave Brown had like 10,000 customers. Like every grandma got some CDs for her kids or some kids books. Yeah. Like, He's so he was doing that, you know, that thing for a while. And it's like still record holder for a couple of minutes. Then Dustin Kaye came in and then, mm-hmm. um, and then um, I guess now it's the, the awesome Estonian guy that sold all no, those. No, no.
1: Bulgarian.
0: Bulgarian. Bulgarian. Whoa. Good for him. Yeah,
1: Shout out to Dave Koser from your earlier story. He was cool. actually uh, lucky enough to, to have a 30,000 unit producer two 20,000 unit producers an 18,000 unit producer, and like a 15,000, 16,000 unit producer, five of the top six um, salespeople this past summer. I want to From
0: say something area. snarky and then say something really good about Dave. The snarky thing I have to say is that I wish post-dated checks accounted for units, you know, back then, these yeah. payment year programs or something. But what I will say for for Dave Gauser is that I remember at President's Club Dinners 20 years ago, him talking about a presence club dinner with a big chair for the person that sold 5,000 units in a week. And so like, he's manifesting his vision, you know, it's, it's cool to see. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, man. Um, so there's a lot from this 20 year, uh, period. I don't, I don't know, like, do you, would you say that most of your most interesting stories came from being a manager or like, what are some of the more standouts from the actual book field? Um, you know, from being on the field with people?
0: I think what you'll find is that most people who are actually working, you know, are stories. <laughs> like, you know, I just, I mean, I could tell you about, I'm sure that I have some very entertaining stories for normally, I was in um, Cancun or somewhere last year with all these save the world type people, right? Like run foundations and friends with Bill and Melinda Gates type folks, right? Like the, the world changing people. And what I found, the only way to possibly communicate anything at all about my Southwestern experience with people like that is just to tell them how we found places to live back in the day. Like, you know, right. when I was 18, I went to someplace I'd never been and knocked on doors to find a place to live so that I could start this program. So I'm like, you knocked on doors to find a place to live? And someplace should <laughs> did, whoa. It's like, yeah, I don't think that's a good story. But, you know, I bring that out. That's the very first thing I ever did on the book, film So I'm sure okay. that, you know, all that comes after that to a normal human being would be very, very, very entertaining. Like, there's stories <laughs> of, like, you know, going and following people that fourth summer when Matt was my AOL and walking all day and just being dead, pulling over on the side of the road and falling asleep and then Matt coming and seeing my car and, like, opening the door. And I was like... I like scream at him, getting ready to kill him because he woke me up from a dead slumber <laughs> on the side of the road because I was so tired after walking with somebody. But all of my and I, yeah, I, I, if you ask people, what are some stories from like it, I'd be I'm more of a character in other people's stories than I am a rememberer of all of mine. Like I just don't. So here's
1: here's one. Give you a story. again one pre-asked uh requested question um you know we were just at lee mccroskey's house as a podcast a couple of days ago <laughs> so uh we're almost 20 years away from the famous matt ross incident <laughs> he says that you weren't even there he says that you weren't story. even there but uh yeah. i would like to hear about such an incident because uh I've, I've heard murmurs, so tell us about it.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you the real story in the, both of them because right? most people think oh. they're the same thing. There's this famous Matt Ross incident where he did something and then he got fired, and that's not actually what happened. We were at Lee McCrawski's house. I was not yet a sales manager. I had just become a sales manager. I think I'd, Matt and I had just become DSM. That's what it was, mm-hmm.
1: and we were celebrating. We had a
0: great fall recruiting. We were at Lee's house. Football was on broncos ravens i'm a broncos fan i remember that and we were wait we were drinking we had wine and it was great it was like all these book people we were having a blast so matt decides to go outside and this is why stories like this are why matt no longer imbibes um, but he goes out and he gets a full bottle of wine just takes the whole bottle to bring it inside well as he's walking and imagine i'm sitting on a couch and Matt's walking from in and Jerry Heffel, who, you know, I was lucky to have as president. Um, he, he's like leaned over the couch, just talking to somebody, right? Well, this is the part that you is maybe challenging to understand and probably homophobic and all kinds of stuff that are not cool anymore. For anybody listening, I've had these realizations, but at the time uh, we just called it pounding. Right. And so instead of shaking hands, if I saw you, I'd like turn you around and just pound you, right? Oh like, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was just simulated um, anal sex getting back to the, the topic sure. earlier, right? full circle, right? Right, got <laughs> full circle back. And it was just fun, you know? It was like a way to say, "I like, you're my friend. So I'm going to jump three months into the story to just give a shout out to Craig Soder, who's like one of the greatest humans ever. RIP, RIP Craig. Yeah, so I did that to Craig. I pounded Craig. He goes, oh, assault with a friendly weapon. And so like, oh I, I I think I think that it began that whole weird thing by waking first years up at sales school. It's like, you know, or on the book field. It's like, if you won't get out of bed, I'm just gonna pound you. Like it was a yeah. you can sort of motivate action because nobody wants to be pounded. Fully clothed, everything was simulated. And it was the equivalent of shaking hands in this organization at the time. It was friendly and meaningless. However, to anybody listening, you can obviously see this pushes the bounds a little bit of, you know, what's going on. And so Matt's walking in with his bottle of wine. Jerry's leaned over the couch. What do you think happens?
1: Ah, yeah. Matt gives a, a friendly hello, I imagine.
0: looks down at me and then he looks down at jerry he goes "Should i do it and i'm like, <laughs> like so i like that would have done it if i hadn't spurred him on to it right so we always are doing this one up so so we pound jerry <laughs> and jerry handled it so cool he, like i've never seen somebody's butt move so fast He just moved it out of the way <laughs> um because he's cool jerry's like cool as they call him, always in command and we didn't think anything of it but Everybody else did. And so the next morning, <laughs> Matt gets sent home for the meeting, doesn't even get to come to the ASL FSL meetings. We thought he was going to get fired. He just got demoted. And he would have been like sales manager of the year. He had such a massive year that year. Like he grew like unbelievably huge year because he was like all humbled and sad or whatever. So this leads to the second part of the story about how Matt Ross actually did get fired. Okay. Um, that can tell you how he came back
1: yeah let's hear how
0: now we're, back we're from... celebrating the big year we're having a sales manager awards banquet at lowe's vanderbilt plaza and so we're three sheets to the wind we go back upstairs afterwards we order rooms or order everything on the room i think we ordered everything it's like just bring us one of everything on the room service menu we just wanted to keep going and um so it was a really unfortunate series of events The my girlfriend at the time was over. She was great too. I really screwed that up. She's gone on to do great things. I'm, I'm bad at screwing up good relationships or I'm good at screwing up good relationships. Um, but she was there and then another person was there probably prefer not to be named. So I'll leave her name out of it. She yeah. still has some association with things and, um, we were just roughhousing on the bed we were just like playing you know like just playing nothing bad no orgies or anything at this point and so like. <laughs> yeah and so or even that night so yeah. the with the bed like it was just pounding against the wall right the bed was smacking against the wall so
1: well housing.
0: yeah just roughhousing <laughs> and, you know and then and like uh, on the other side of the wall is jerry heffel's secretary Ah. And so she already knows Matt's got a bad reputation, you know, from what happened before. And my girlfriend was like, stop, you know, like which you would say if you're just right, right? Stop. Don't. And so she, and so then this gets even crazier. Matt goes to the bathroom and slams his hand in the door and it starts bleeding like all over his shirt. So he takes his pants off. He's in his boxers. He's in his shirt. He's got blood all over him. At the same time, the room service comes. And so then the room service comes in, and we think nothing of it. And then, like, three days later, I'm in Virginia, and Samuels calls me. He goes, what happened at Lowe's Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt Plaza? If you do not tell me, you will not be working with me anymore. Like, this is the end. Like, I was like, yikes. I was like, oh, we get drunk. And ordered a bunch of room service (laughs) like i don't like we were celebrating our great year that we just had he's like that's that's not what happened so what happened was is that jerry's secretary believed that we had raped somebody yeah that's no that's not good front desk was there anything weird that happens like well actually this guy did open the door with blood all over him like all over his clothes and so it was just a tragic comedy of errors and then matt got fired and so and so then the guard changed like two or three years later and we were kevin and I, kj and i were over at henry's house and we were looking around and we're just like it's a shame that we're in this room with the people that we're in this room with and matt ross is not here like matt's better than these guys sorry for anybody that was there at the time but it's been true right like we just knew that Matt was better and so henry was wide open enough to not have any baggage left over was willing to hear the story to hear that this was crazy and in the interim matt actually sued to get his job back might matt might be the only person who's ever sued southwestern to be able to keep (laughs) selling Uh, books at southwestern but then somehow he left his insurance career he came back and obviously he's you know he and mark are like in burgie i guess there's some young guys now that do really well too like aj's scalp you know is really good and um there's shane blick and i don't really keep much track of it anymore i think that ignis
1: there's ignis Yes, the ignorance. Like, I, I don't know,
0: but yeah. So that's what. So because uh, we, Tish and Henry, bring Matt back into the fold, and obviously he's been great for southwestern.
1: Yeah, so Matt's got. Um, you know, he he's had his long-standing organization uh, working with now. Vicky Varberg and Joe are like the other TD DSMs oh, DSLs yeah, carrying you. on your legacy there. So that's really cool um what do you
0: do with vicky but joe came from jacob green who came from zach slayball who came from katie who came from brian who came from me so that's awesome. it's nice to see i've got some descendants running around it's probably how people lived 3000 years ago would feel they're like, Oh, look at all my descendants. I don't really have any connection to them, but there they are. You know, everybody (laughs) at Southwestern is a descendant of somebody, you know, there's probably people have giant organizations in Southwestern that have no idea. It's their line that thrived, you know, Uh,
1: how crazy would that be to see like a Southwestern lineage of like all the recruiting, um, family branches, you know, all the way down the line. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's, it's because of some dude decided to pick up, you know, a sample case and go to another house that he made another sale and stuck around. And uh, if he didn't do that, none of us would be here, right? Yeah. So it's all those micro decisions. Speaking of micro decisions. Okay, so yeah, that's... Um, that's,
0: that's... You that need a micro decision. Say again? You need a micro decision. It's really popular nowadays.
1: It is very popular and uh, I I won't, I won't uh, not suggest it. So it's, it's, so so not that kind of
0: micro decision. So what other type of micro decision are we talking about?
1: Yeah. Well, micro decisions, um, you know, for you, like what are maybe like one of the more standout like life lessons, dude, you've got so much of an impact that you've made that is still resounding to this day. Um, What are some of like the micro decisions that didn't turn out to be as micro
0: over time that uh, you love? I'll give you things. one example of something that I did that I haven't heard of anybody else doing, but they might. And now it would be pretty easy to do. But back then it was technologically challenging that still plays into everything that we do business wise. What's that? As my sixth summer, whenever I was looking at, do I want to do this as a career or not? I wanted to believe that the products that we were selling were actually good and useful. Like the only, objection that i could come up with i knew that i was doing well i knew i loved my organization i could see having a future there i knew it would be challenging but i wanted to know that what we were doing was actually good for people right right and so i told every this is 2001 and i told i had like six 700 customers that summer i told every one of them um I will give you your money back at the end of the summer i will give your money back if you don't use these and it wasn't like a sales trick to try to push them over the line although although it was effective um you know it was like boy this is a pretty hardcore commitment i'm making but i might lose a few grand but at least i don't you lose years of my life Doing something that is not beneficial to humanity because I have skills now to go be beneficial to humanity in a million different ways that will pay more and be easier than this path. And um, I actually wrote them all. I got all their email addresses before there was spam, and I, I wrote them all a message. It's like, hey, if you're wondering about the where the terrorists came from, that's on page two fifty eight. You oh know. Oh my
1: gosh. And, uh,
0: <laughs> And it's like, you know, I'm be recruiting this year. So if you have any stories of how you've used your how used your books, wow. I'd love to hear about it. So I had some really good testimonials that I showed people recruiting that year. And there were got back in touch with me. One of them is one of those families that I if I hadn't been giving people their money back, I wouldn't have I would have told them not to buy like a kid that was just failing right. out of school, but it was just there was that was not going to help them so i gave them their money back like no questions asked and then another the wolf family um i remember called me and they were thinking about getting their money back but really they just needed another lesson on how to use their books so i told them how to use their books they didn't get it back so what that has to do with what we do today is that i'm really lucky to be in a field where and you are as well with solar energy you know people are going to use electricity there's a 100 percent chance that if they could use electricity unless they're Amish, they will use electricity. <laughs> this is not, this is pre-approach. Oh, um, are you going to use electricity? Does the sunshine where you live? So that'll that that in my next phase of my career, like I couldn't like I knew all the good that could come. All the paths that some people went on after you know they had a bad experience, you know, what got blamed for what. And so I just want to know for sure that whatever I did for this next part of my life was going to be something that was actually useful, you know, that 100%, like no questions asked, will people benefit from this? And when you throw in on top of it, they actually save a ton of money too. It's like the hardest, you know, the hardest thing about selling solar is helping somebody believe it's not too good to be true, which 20 years of experience doing so still challenging, but it's the same thing. (laughs) You're talking to people about changing habits you're asking them to trust you. You're helping them understand. It's more coaching. It's it's a lot of fun. But if you're asking like a life lesson learned that's applicable today in terms of how we still do business, that's something that I did because I wanted to know that people actually use the books. But you can bet your yeah, sweet everybody. ass during deliveries, I showed everybody how to use their books. Very, yeah, I love that. It was all me, you know.
1: Yeah, I uh, I liked how some like Matt Atchison always talked about how he didn't want to deliver books during the summer, he would always go back at the end of the summer and, and show on, on how to use it because he was so convicted in that part of his job. Um, definitely agree with that. Um, always. It's always funny because uh, eventually, like in my second, third or fourth summer, I think it was like my second in Massachusetts, um, I was talking to somebody, I was sitting down with them and uh, as I'm like showing them the products, um, you know, people who had the books but didn't necessarily use them were selling them on Amazon. And uh, it was like, Southwestern Advantage Books, 99 cents, product listed by Dan Moore. And they're just like showing this to me. (laughs) I'm just like, you're kidding me. You should buy it from me, though. And you think it's helpful? And they're just like, yeah, we think it's helpful, but it looks like it's only worth a buck. And I'm just like, oh, great. the second hand
0: shows you how much value a book person adds to the experience right it's not really about the price of the book you can tell somebody it's mean, I did a lot of time where I told people and the whole thing's just five bucks and they passed just to teach a first year that it's not a money objection
1: like right it's just
0: like yeah because they'll still say
1: no to the five dollar book deal because I don't want that that's a five dollar paperweight you know
0: yeah like they just don't want anything people are funny
1: that is funny what's uh you know let's let's get towards like how you actually exited southwestern because you know we're now both um in the solar industry you've been in the industry like right after you left southwestern right cool so let's let's hear about that transition that was back in 2014 right yep
0: 2014 so the end of my southwestern career um there's such a long, deep, convoluted story. It's not even worth getting into. It involves... Story
1: for another time. Yeah,
0: story for another time. It involves insanity, like getting put in a, put in a psych ward, like literally. Um, it involves attempting to upheave a whole lot of tradition. And it also involves communicating what I was attempting to accomplish very poorly. And, you know, I sounded like some, I don't know, some, some self-righteous um, prophet or something, you know. It was just sure. it was too much. But at the everybody leaves out, everybody quits eventually, right? Like it's not for Mar- we're all quitters. Yeah, we're all <laughs> quitters except for Soder. Soder was still southwestern when he died. But yeah, everybody yeah. quits eventually. Yeah. And um, I just got a call. Like in my my adventures seem to start with the call. I got a call from Chris Salata, and mm-hmm. he's like, hey, you guys should think about Lester. You know what you should think about doing?" I'm like, "I'm kind of doing it." I don't really ever plan to do anything else, you know. That was <laughs> classic. Um, he's like, uh, but what, Chris? And he's like, solar energy. He goes, solar can change the world. And I said, Chris, only love can do that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but then I started thinking about it, and then we went out to California. When why? I mean, I moved from New York City and left my stuff there. I put my now ex-wife through hell through all the moving and disruption, and all the stuff going on, but. We all moved out to California. It was like 16 really good former book people, like people that were good at selling books and started working for a company that I just did not ask enough questions about to begin with. But I learned very quickly how I did not want to be in the solar industry, which is how I've seen, unfortunately, the majority of organizations be, which is, you know, what's the most we can get while delivering the least amount of value possible. You know, and nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, if you can get away with it and you believe that your purpose in life is to get as much for your kid can- as you can for yourself with while contributing as little well as possible, no problem, then just go sell some over Um, But we knew, John and I knew, John knew within two days, he's faster than I am. It took me by like two months to figure out this is not gonna work. And I felt trapped. I felt like I led all these wonderful people into an absolute disaster. I was in tatters. I mean, if you think if you think it's tough leaving after a summer or two or three, you know, try leaving after 19 summers, whenever you believe that you're gonna be doing something for the rest right. of your life and you have no objection to the mission, right? You're like, this is a right. very good thing for humans to have a chance to engage in. Like this is like, for no other reason it's fucking entertaining like i don't have any good stories because it's all a good story it's like like what else can you do to go meet thousands of people into their lives and talk to them about something that matters to them like their kids education and their frustrations like there are people that have a half conversation like that once and they remember it for the rest of their lives. Like I made a big difference in this person's life because I like it's like right. man, a brief conversation. Like, like selling books is the adventure of a lifetime. Take the money out of it. Take the take the the stuff that sticks in people, take the bad student manager experience out of it, take all that out of it realize that it was just you it was just me it was a bag full of books it was a human being on the other side of the door that had deeds and desires of their own and type traits of their own and you know it's not really about the product it's really about can i trust you like hmm. like and how do people know if they can trust you well here's all my friends you know names, yep. like it's still it's the same everywhere so the transition for me was very challenging. Like, it was just like, uh, we were in a horrible situation. Um, and then my marriage was falling to pieces cause I was falling to pieces. Yeah. And so then we took like, I had like a, so then like the guy you work with Julio was part of that. And Julio's, yeah. Julio started his uh Enlight, that you work with which is a great solar company and <laughs> decided to do it this way. And we just went this radical other direction. Where basically I'm like, I'm not afraid of not being able to succeed in life at this point. Like, it's just like, if I want to go make money, I can go make money. But the most boring people I know seem to fixate on that. And so, let me kind of give you a philosophical shift here that didn't occur till late in Southwestern. And it goes for solar and it goes for everything else. So, Nick, play this game with me for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Say that you believe that you you operate with this philosophy that more for you is good. And simultaneously, you are blessed with a skill set that makes it impossible for someone to say no to you. And I don't just mean like the way people say that about like Kevin Johnson, which it was kind of almost true for KJ. He's the greatest. But if you... like kevin i love kj um yeah right like that about your student manager 20 years later i don't think anybody would have a problem with southwestern if they had a student manager like i did right so let me go on this philosophical journey then we can pause for a commercial break or whatever you want to do um all right you're blessed with a skill set nobody can stop you from taking from them and they'll be happy to give it to you. It's not like you're going and whipping it out or threatening people. You're just like, hey, Lester, I need that shirt. And I'm like, no problem. Here it is. Right. Hey, Lester, I need those socks. Uh, and you're like, I need that shirt. I need a nightgown. So the um, <laughs> what would you take from me if you believe that more for you is good? Right. That's, that's a question. What would you take from me? Well, uh,
1: probably... I am I'm, I'm like the type of guy who's like, I need to give before I take. So just inherently I'm like, what more do you need? Um, and I've learned over time that that's how I get more for more of good for me, but,
0: uh, well, what I think I Any, any decent human person eventually figures that lesson out. I'm not talking about that. Like yeah. and a lot of times we figure that out because it just helps us get more for ourselves. So it's kind of like, you know, I'll be good so I can get more for me later but forget about it. This is a philosophical exercise. And so just go with, I know that you're not like that. You're a wonderful human being. And so, um, but, but if you did believe that more for you is good.
1: I'd probably and- take anything that you have that would make my life more comfortable. Uh, allow me to, you know, stockpile against any aggressors, you know, like munitions and food and land
0: they're not aggressors like if they came up with guns you would just say hey give that to me and they would this is how good you are this is why it's a philosophical exercise so you don't need to protect yourself from those guys you could just take their guns but you're on the right you're on the right track you're just having trouble saying it because it sounds sociopathic
1: but yeah (laughs) but,
0: but what you would take from me is everything yeah because more for you is good and who would you take everything from everybody i guess and so what would you be left with? Um everything, you know, everything and, and nobody, because they would all die if you took all their stuff. So you'd have then yeah. like, yeah. I mean, you'd have everything, you'd have nobody. So if that's the best case that if self-development means how do I get more for myself, if that's where it leads, like the reason I like this question is because most people don't take it to its Further's conclusion, which is, what would my life look like if right. I succeeded at this? If I could no longer be stopped, like if, no matter what. So yeah. if that's the best that can happen, then I just thought, why do I want to go down that path at all? Like, there's got to be another path here, you know. And that's mm. like sometimes I talk to people about. There's a lot of different paths in life, but two that are easy to understand is the train do get path. Like I'm going to train, then I'm going to do. And I'm going to get, I'm going to train, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to, I'm going to train to be a lawyer. I'm going to do lawyering. I'm going to get paid like a lawyer gets paid. Right. I'm going to train, do, get, train, do, get. That's what, how most people were set up. And there's a second path, which is create, share, receive. It's like an right. artist or creator path. It's like, yeah. I want to create something which takes courage to create, you know, just because you have to look around and see that there's something missing in order to want to create something to begin with. Like if everything's happy and you're, 401k is going up and your kids are making A's in school. You forget that there's a game going on that you're a part of because you opted into this other game. Um, But it's just a real scary to share something that you create because people might not like it. Right. So what you receive, create, share, receive, what you receive is either feedback that what you created sucks, which if you're persistent will allow you to go back, and recreate and then share again make it better <laughs> make it better until finally you create something that when you share it people are like that's awesome and what you receive is whatever reward the problem you solved was worth you know like what problem did you solve for humans and that's one of the things that I'm really proud of a lot of the people I worked with is it seems like a little bit of the message gap. Or you could ask yourself, what would I love to do? How can I add as much value as possible to as many lives as possible? How can I see a need and fill a need? Like what's actually going on here? So if you're asking like my lessons at Southwestern, another thing that I learned is listening to thousands of people from NC State to Washington State to Princeton all say the same nonsense for 15 years. Like they were really saying something and realizing I'm not dealing with an objection. I'm dealing with the human condition. Hmm. And so, like, what are these people actually trying to tell me? Well, what they're trying to tell me is that they want to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it, for however long they want to do it with the people they want to do it with. And whenever it's over, they want to be healthy, safe, seen and loved. Like. And it's and the reason they want that is what we had when we were kids, right? Like if our parents, we had our energy raining down from free from our mom and dad, and we want to do what we want to when we want. We learn these rules that we have to do to fit into society, but it's not what people really want. Like people want to be free, and Mm -hmm. so for me, this whole solar thing—the reason I could go from a lifetime of developing human potential to solar—is that I just don't see how it makes sense to live in a world where we spend three and a half billion dollars a day in this country alone to set things on fire to make our machines move or our computers come on you know whatever the freaking sun is shining on you right now it's out my window and it can make all that electricity and it's something you can own when the power goes out if you have batteries your power stays on like it's energy security it's just I don't know. I look at the 1800s and I listen to a lot of people talk about all kinds of issues that are pop up, and become political, politically divisive today. It seems like, you know, whether it's race or a bunch of races, it still goes on. But compared to the 1800s, it's pretty fucking good. And what happened in the 1800s is they didn't have gas and they didn't have coal. They didn't have electricity. So somebody had to do a lot of work and they found this bizarre way of organizing and color coding people based on who was supposed to work. It had to deal with that because it was better than the alternative of everybody working. And then, you know, that would have been like a really hard life. But who knows what would happen if everybody worked? We wouldn't have these problems 200 years later. So it's not to justify a system that it existed for human history. It's not like the 1800s were the only time there was slavery. It's just there was... St- Slavery until the 1800s. And all of a sudden, we figured out how to have machines grow our food for us and transport our food and cool our food. And that's the last century. So we're really just coming to grips with how what we can create as humans, not much time to do it. So I bring all that up to say that if oil and electricity could get us from slavery to just some basic systemic racism, then maybe solar could take us from a new form of energy from that crap into a world where everybody's like, yeah, I guess I was kind of freaked out at a low level of anxiety, wondering what would happen if I did quit my job and I lost everything and how I would keep my lights on or how I would make my car move. you know? So it's like, that's, So if you look at the connection, I just think it's really good for humans. I think there's a very strong connection between how society is organized, the way we receive our energy. I think it really matters. And so the transition period was a couple of years of hell culminating in my wife leaving, uh, which was the right move on her part. She's got a couple of kids now and she's doing well. And, but then me crying for like six months, and wondering why I was even alive. Like I had a career, had all this I'm with this organization. I can't trust these other guys don't want to work with me. They think I've lost my mind. Okay. Now what? You know? So, so I just thought, okay, well, let's use the cycle of cells. What do we got? We got pre-approach. Well, we know everybody uses electricity in the sunshines where they live and they like to save money. So that's pretty good. All right. So then the approach part was what we spent the next two years on. Like, well, how are we going to reach those people? Let them know that that's true. That's where we came up with the fundraising thing that you know about, that you helped contribute to a couple of years ago exactly as right. the, you know, so, you know, have organizations who are willing to send their people to learn about clean energy. So that way I don't have to go recruit a thousand salespeople to go find people to buy things from them. So I knew that if we, cause I knew what happened then, like, ah, oh, I know what happens. We'll build a really big organization. That <laughs> yeah. can fall apart in a heartbeat when you're working with so many people and so many systems and so many structures, which is fine. If you're looking at growing a, a significant company, obviously you can last for 150 years. It's not an invalid way of going about building a business. Right. I just knew for me personally, I wasn't interested in ever having a PC again with another human who told me that they weren't willing to go out and give, like some, give their best effort to a human that they could serve. Right. Like I don't, I'm not interested in having this conversation anymore. So that's why we had to come up with a new approach to spread solar, and then after that. Just the intro. How do you say these words in a way that makes sense? And then the demo. How do you create great value? And people close themselves. There's like, can you think of any reason why you wouldn't want to spend less money and actually own your energy production source as opposed to having a never-ending bill that's always going to go up? No. Okay. Cool. So should (laughs) should I send you a contract or what? Like, yeah, right. Uh, it like gets just uh, basically what I'm asking is, are you a logical human being who values freedom? And, and you think you scared. Like, oh, you yeah. know, like if you're not, then we're probably not going to have much to talk about anyway. Like you think that I'm crazy. I want to clean the rivers. I want to clean the oceans. I want to end racism. I want to do all that stuff, but it's all going to require energy. Like all of it. Like there is no Literally. problem that we will solve. Won't require energy. And so that's all like, how do you tell people that without making them feel bad about what they're doing currently? I didn't know about any of this stuff seven years ago, right? right? Like, how do you how do you communicate this new concept? Luckily, I've got a lot of experience. Hey, here's this thing you've never heard of, and it can lead to right. a real different outcome, but it doesn't involve working 80 hours a week. You actually get to work <laughs> a little bit less, you know? And right. um, then, there's, then there's the deliveries part, and there's cash collection, and there's deliveries. And the delivery part, as I'm sure you guys learned too, Deliveries is challenging in solar because it requires real people doing real jobs and running real wires to real electrical components that have real consequences if it's not done correctly. Right? Oh yeah. It's not like, oh, you didn't do enough demos today. Whatever. It's like, dude, you've got a dangling wire. They can set. <laughs>
1: Yeah, man, I've uh, I've held out those like panels out in the sun and touched wire to wire. And that's not a fun shock. I tell you
0: what, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a challenging thing. It's a great job. So I feel good about creating jobs for people who didn't go to college, create a lot of jobs for people in college. But I never really did much for the people where I'm from, like yeah. where I'm from. People don't go to college. They do jobs like electrician contractor. And so I feel good now to create those types of jobs. But I don't really care to create a lot of jobs in solar. Um I just want to find ways to have people be able to like benefit from it. Right. And so that's my Southwestern nutshell. Like if I were any different at all, it was never bullshit that I actually believed in people. Like it was never bullshit that I believed that someone was capable of doing more than they were before. It was also never BS that I thought that things like resiliency, integrity, empathy, compassion, like all those things were valid. And to this day, I don't think there's a better crucible for bringing out those things than Southwestern Advantage Program. Now, there's Southwestern corporate, we can criticize them all day long (laughs) the same way that anybody could criticize any corporation. And one of the things I learned when I left Southwestern, despite a lot of misgivings I had when I did, was that compared to most of the companies in the world, Southwestern operates at such a high level of integrity and engineer like finding awareness and like there's so many things that they do so well hell i have a hard time finding somebody that can ship a, an equipment like send equipment that i just paid them fifty thousand dollars for to the correct address with all the pieces in the box you know so been there
1: before
0: so 18 to 20 year olds able to go out and do what we did i have nothing but the high or 18 to 25 or however old people are like i just have no it's just a really it's a wonderful adventure that I think everybody ought to have a chance to be a part of, you know, yeah, it's
1: adventure. almost like a party, you know, it's yeah. uh, you know, of course we do the whole sizzler thing. Um, we uh, we actually have uh, Martine and Lucas are one of our sponsors. They, uh, they literally throw parties. Um, they're a DJ um, disc jockeys that uh, uh, just to plug them real quick. So I'm trying to sprinkle work. this in here. Uh, Martine and Lucas, they, uh, they actually played at the, the Freddy's. Um, And so like their whole thing is creating unforgettable parties, right? If you were to have, you know, some boring party, you know, that's kind of what living on earth can be like sometimes when you're caught up in the oil matrix, right, Lester? (laughs) You know, you're, you're like miserably going through your life. And sometimes you're given like all these fun times that aren't that fun. And we turn out, you know, looking like zombies, but uh, with Martine and Lucas on the actual music side of things, they know how to catch whatever vibe you're looking for um they have like you know all sorts of music from um country edm rock and roll 90s 2000s man they even got baroque music <laughs> that's a joke but uh <laughs> they they have the great music iq to, to make any party you know a blast and they're able to do so with integrity because they're book people at affordable prices and uh yeah they they did andres's wedding and uh have have some great reviews for them there um, but yeah, we love Martina Lucas. Let's throw you a party with some some real DJs and we'll get you in touch with them. So, um, next, got, yeah, next we got Pat Roach with Southwestern Real Estate. Um, you know, Pat, right?
0: Pat, reply to your email. Yeah, I know that. Or your your, your <laughs> Facebook message. Yes, that's hilarious. Yeah,
1: so Pat's a really busy guy. You know, he's got a lot of messages in his inbox because he's leading a terrific organization out there. Um, he's, you know, hailing from Chicago at this time and um, his company works across 15 different states, you know, including Florida. I actually used to live with Meredith Gardner, now Meredith Caledino, Meredith Lester.
0: Uh, if I do, i I draw a blank on the name. but
1: Yeah, she's an awesome uh, Eagle Blitz book chick out of University of Florida and a big reason why I'm living here in Gainesville and she's been crushing it with Southwestern real estate and, you know, their whole business model is like, even when the market's super dramatic with, you know, houses selling at a super high cash bid, you know, type of market. Like it's been this past year. Um, there's a lot of drama involved. And so their whole thing is like, be the be the student manager with the superpowers to make them calm and, you know, make it 99% drama free. So Pat's looking for some uh, new agents. If you want to work with Pat, um, they have terrific training, you on- know, onboarding. Um, 95% of their agents stay with the company and Way find great it. success. Oh yeah, so... Um, we love working with Pat and we'd love to get you in touch with him if you want to work with Pat too. So um, again, to speak about Cardinal senior benefits, Quentin, man, he's like doing so great um, building out his organization there in Texas. Um, he's living just outside of San Antonio, but one of his uh, best agents, Greta Huerta, um, she is a recent book alum. Her last summer was like in 2020. And so she joined Cardinal um, a little less than a year ago and you know, started breaking records Uh, Greta is, um, like the, the one person who said, why are we just taking only a certain amount of final expense, life insurance leads and kind of capping our income because we're only willing to take so many appointments and not put as much effort into the field. And so she was like flipping the script, broke a record, you know, one week sold like $28,000 in annual premium, you know, making about that much. And then, uh, went and, you know, made like $37,000 in a week, uh, you know, soon after that. So. Greta is um, someone awesome to work with. Everyone that she's um, hired on as an agent has been able to find success and, you know, transform their their life situation through some oil uh, oil matrix credits. Um, I know that Lester, you've, I, I'd love to talk we to you about let that. that after the
0: break. Yeah, oh man. yeah, man. i to get some water while you're doing this. Cardinals. Yeah. Great. Quentin and Jessica just signed up for silver last week. So we know that they're okay. logical human beings and you can trust working with them. Pat's cool Absolutely. too. I'll be right
1: back. Yeah, please, please stay hydrated. So um, those are our awesome uh, uh, sponsors. Um, again, I'm going to take every moment I possibly can to promote Bizzler. Um, so Bizzler is, uh, you know, signups are wrapping up here, getting into May. Um, if you're curious about any of the details or like specifically how to afford Bizzler, um, first of all, the deadline to sign up and, you know, pay your first $50 deposit to secure your spot that's on May 1st. And, uh, if you miss that deadline, you know, we're not going to stop you from getting a, a, a spot to stay at the same resort. However, uh, we've got everything set up so that you can pay, you know, $1,500 flight included, if you want us to, you know, if you want to take care of the flight, it's like $1,100 and uh, you can break it into a payment plan. So it's more affordable. Uh, let's go to Mexico. Let's hang out. Let's party. Lester, do you think you'll come to Bizzler?
0: I don't know. Should I say yes? The only if <laughs> we could all be naked on Wednesday night. like we got Oh
1: night. man. Well, uh, I won't stop you. Um, some, some, you know, legal, legal matters might
0: proceed from
1: there, but uh,
0: <laughs> no, yeah, it'd be fun. Like, yeah. Give me a names list.
1: Well, we've got uh, plenty of people coming, like Meredith Gardner, uh, Meredith Kelly, and uh, her husband John, and um, you know people like oh gosh, there's so many names here. I, I, the our struggle right now is like getting people to be fully booked in. We've got like 18 or 20 people fully booked in, and like tw- uh, 50 or 60 people more in process. Uh, so that's people like um, Kim Shell. Um, uh, pat roach was gonna go um he's got a kid and other trips to mexico um gosh i, I wish i had a, a better names list i'm not the best at. i'm not the one handling bizzler that's actually our i, our did, I didn't mean now i'm sure just said it to you're me you're fine yeah hard, like but hard. everybody but else
0: fun like I, most people have families and stuff now you know so exactly. this is bizzler instead of sizzler so you don't have
1: this oh yeah you know shane hertig right yeah she's cool yeah he'll be there um he's in solar yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been cool seeing everybody from not just the southwestern world, but other industries get into solar um, to, you know, talk about what we're up to now. Um, I've seen like North Star smart home alarms. They do. Yeah, Switzerland
0: Brothers, they're real ones. Those guys yeah, are man. Wow, they're kicking it, brother. They're awesome.
1: Yeah, dude. Peter and Jake are awesome. Um, I actually worked with them and, you know, some others from North Star some years ago. and then I was just shocked to hear that they, they broke away. They started their own solar company. Um, there was like two other solar companies that came from North star dissolving. And then, uh, you know, Julio has been in solar for a while. Um, I don't know if you know of many other book people that are in our, our same industry. Yeah.
0: Julio gave us a recommendation the other day for an installer in Florida. So thank you, Julio. So you're asking to keep in touch with old sales managers. Like, yeah, Julio. Solar. Um, and let's see who else is in solar i know that brian harbin told gave me a recommendation of a friend of his that's in orlando and has been in solar for like 14 years i don't remember the guy's name cool um i know that some friends from our organization like the old winning tradition weren't like the old winning tradition which is total domination now yeah there's a new winning tradition i think right so we um Dave Bond is out in Vegas, um, Andy Halpert and then Mike Duffy to come right off the head, they all with Sunrun.
1: You uh you cut out there just a little bit. You're saying that all, some people are all Sunrun, Sunrun guys
0: right now. Yeah, they're all Sunrun guys. So those are the three people off the top of my head that I know work in solar for Sunrun, and then there's Nelly no who's been recruited like some kid that still thinks books is about making money, that got recruited <laughs> and thinks solar is about making money and um, has no idea what the hell's going on selling PPAs in some organization from somebody from Utah right now. Who you knows?
1: Yeah, man. It's uh there's there's a lot to be said about the the state of our industry. Um, you know, my my gratitude in, in working with you for a little bit there with Ovanova was just learning the depth at which a distinction, right. A a piece of the conversation about this whole revolution of going green and owning your own source of power. Um, you know, I I love the depth of conversation that you've been able to have. Um, you know, I, I was always frustrated, you know, being in the industry and like the only person I had ever met, um, only people I had ever met with a, a degree in the industry specifically, like I did was the people I was getting my degree with. There was some other people who have like shorter degrees and all that kind of stuff, of like install, um, you know, tradesman type of uh, certifications. But uh, man, like everything that you've brought to the table on the like the totally cerebral conversation with solar, you know, that's my wheelhouse. You know, you're talking about like where our energy comes from kind of dictates how we live our lives um, you know, if we want to talk about this whole oil matrix concept. I'm sure. it. I
0: talked about the oil matrix in a while just because I found that it doesn't connect with people, but for the people with whom it connects, it stays oh, yeah. forever. So it's kind of like, you know, an anal sex analogy, which is what this podcast is about <laughs> to be. It's also called a throwback joke, which is something I learned from Rory Vaden. No laughs to no laughs. You just... You say it enough times and it becomes absurd and it becomes funny and there's a throwback humor and unexpected humor. It's a really good book. No laughs, no laughs. But yes, this oil matrix, you to talk about the oil matrix. Yeah. This well, is I mean, really easy to see. Once you see it, it's just most people aren't depraved enough to believe they can do something about it, which is, it. which is what 19 years of watching young people go out and do impossible things gave me like, if my life is a movie, I've seen a movie of heroes. I mean, and, and they're still doing heroic things. Think about like Tina Edmonds in her lacrosse or field hockey club. She's a national champion. Runs a field go to college all the time. You know, there are folks I worked with that are, they've built businesses and sold businesses and they're working on Wall Street. Like I've seen, I've seen, I've got nurses like, Heck, I worked with two people in my organization that have a million and three million TikTok followers. So Sarah Barrett, yeah. it was a girl that came from my last summer, and then Nancy Davidson. So if you have any kids and you want to see science projects, go to Miss Nancy BTV or look up Nancy <laughs> Davidson, um, science teacher. Like she's one of the best hearted people I work like. So we've got these TikTok influencers that we knew. And then I spent time in New York and L.A. So I met a bunch of people that do all kinds of weird stuff. Um, but no matter where I was, like it doesn't change one thing. That I've never been anywhere, and you won't either for the rest of your life. Well, that's not necessarily true. But so far, you haven't been anywhere where what you're seeing would be there without oil having been burned. So like, field, like look around right now, like look in your room and what is one object? There's a shirt. This used to be cotton. I, I don't see a cotton field near me. I know that cotton was planted by machines, not slaves because it's not the 1800s. Sure. <laughs> and we found oil. Thank God, you know, figured out how to use it. And then it got went to some factory, then went on some truck, it went to some distribution center, then went to some store, then somebody bought it, then it went to Goodwill where I found it and I had to drive there to get it, you know. So this is just one shirt, this is one object in a room and you can do the same thing for everything all around you. So it sounds like a trivial point. It sounds like it's just a philosophical point until you understand that it's nearly impossible to have any conversation about this world And we hear people saying, "Well, that's good, that's smart, or that's wise." What they're talking about is within the context where a portion of your life has to be spent maintaining an infrastructure that costs three and a half billion dollars a day for us to operate to create this world. Which is why it makes sense to have save some for a rainy day. Because what if they turn the electricity off and the the, you couldn't buy gas anymore? the oil matrix meaning that literally every point every object every item is a point within a matrix and what connects that matrix is the energy that's made possible by oil and so what i see a lot of times in the solar business or in any business you have these it's like the wrong people have taken over the messaging you just are always talking about saving the planet and that's great but they never have the context of planet's going to be fine without us. We just won't be fine without without the planet in a form that's habitable to us and that can feed us. And even if you believe climate change is garbage, then how could you be such a wuss that you'd be willing to lie down and submit to a king? And if you don't think that oil is the king, then ask yourself, all right, so you don't stop by and you pay the, the king's toll called putting gas in your car. What happens to your car? It doesn't go down. Okay, so what happens if you stop by? You steal a gas, and you start going down the road. Well, then you have cops. And is, how is that different than the king's men saying you cannot pass on our road until you pay the toll of the king? Like if you want to understand, yeah, there's presidents and there's politics, but then there's the king, and it's got a million different heads, so it's hard to point your finger at. And it also sounds absurd to complain about it at all because without it, we're back in the 1800s. Without it, we're back to slavery being accepted. Without it, we're like trying to find our daughter to get married off to somebody that, you know, could create a male son, heir, whatever crazy-ass game we were playing for those millennia, where we didn't have access to this wonderful thing that can do so much work. So, you know, without recognizing how how not only valuable oil is, but without realizing that it creates – this world, this matrix of this world. And that's not hyperbole. That's not, you can sell 10,000 units next summer when you've only sold 1500. You know, that's not <laughs> any of the stuff that you might come to believe in all this BS. It's just a fact. We, without oil, there's no world, but what you, then you peel it back another layer. And then you think, well, wait a second. I thought you were talking about electricity. Well, people have to drive their cars to the power plants. And you know this is I'll let me go on this rant for a second for all the five people that end up watching this deep into the podcast <laughs> that I didn't offend with my off- color stories at the beginning. like the if you just follow it through, where our energy comes from as you well know, is steam. Like you've heard of nuclear power there's no such thing. They're smashing nuclear like nuclei and atoms together. And that creates heat, a lot of it. And guess what you can do with that heat? You can boil water. Guess what happens when you boil water? You make steam. And then you can concentrate it. And then you can spin this little thing called a turbine. <laughs> and that thing spins a generator, which is just copper and magnets. It's like that. You ever see that middle school science experiment where you crank the thing and the light bulb oh, you know, yeah. it comes on? We're just playing the same game at a very much larger scale. But right right. now there's something spinning there's steam being made whether from coal or natural gas heat chipped up tires which is a real thing that's burned in north carolina at one plant
1: around here too so
0: fast you name nick that's all it is and it's archaic it's from the late 1800s but it works great but why did i say oil matrix instead of oil and electricity matrix because the how do you get coal to a power plant how do you get workers to the power plant if they don't drive you know without the machines digging up the mountain (laughs) you don't you know you don't get the coal you don't transport it on a train so i am just it's all oil matrix for now but what it really is is an energy matrix and when you peel it back and you realize okay what kind of problems does oil cause maybe climate change maybe you think climate change is bs so throw that one away if you have to other problems does it cause well have you not watched the last two months when this whole russia ukraine thing is going down do you like having swings in the prices like do you not see why every item would become more expensive and if it has to be shipped because every item incurs shipping which is fuel cost like it's there's a connection that people aren't usually aware of outside of filling their own car up when it comes to their dependence on energy when people talk about we need to be independent of energy i'm like it's a world market there's no Mm -hmm. such thing as energy unless you know there actually is a way to be energy independent but it's going to involve a lot of work for a couple of decades it's going to involve new choices but it turns out that since 1954 we have had a new way of creating energy so when i say oil referring to when they say you're not in touch with reality like you you're you're flawed because you don't believe what i believe to be good and right and true about how one should behave within this construct and all i'm saying is well the construct is useful i like the comfort of being in a world that's powered by oil i prefer it immensely to the early 1800s and either the work that i would have been doing as a slave or the cognitive dissonance with which I would have had to live as a slave master or a procurer of goods that was created by slavery. Right. So I I'm really grateful that oil exists, but it doesn't always have to be that way. Like in, and it's up to us to decide when it doesn't have to be that way anymore.
1: Lester, have you ever thought about like giving your own talk, like a TEDx talk to um, convey this, important distinction to the masses at why all. would i do that when i've got
0: ponytails oh that's true <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me you know, like four, the- like four book people hearing something is like four million other people uh, hearing something right you Get I, it? yeah it's like give me four book people like nobody else is gonna watch this um, yeah. well, unless they're depraved, maybe someday they'll be like, Oh, that was Nick to Murray. This is his early shows. You're like, a, Yeah, right, <laughs> a Joe Rogan fanatic, you know, that goes back and watches his early shows. Yeah, man. So, I'm not saying that there's anything bad with what we're doing, that's up to you. That people have to spend a few years of their life doing something they may or may not love doing for dollars to pay the king's toll to use the king's road. I personally don't really give two shits for a king and I prefer to live in a world that makes sense where my friends don't think that they can't do something because they can't afford it, or they don't have time or they have to do this or they can't say what they really believe because then they're going to be outcast and like that. I just don't have, that's just not, it's not a, um, it doesn't seem like a fun way to spend the next 40 years of my life trying to get as much for myself as I can so, mm-hmm. I can pretend that I don't have a low grade anxiety that the whole matrix will shut down. Which, if you don't have that low grade anxiety, that you don't, haven't paid attention during a Texas ice storm. You haven't paid attention mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. a hurricane. You haven't. And I don't blame I, mean, I wouldn't pay attention either. Most people don't pay a lot of attention to cancer until they get it. You know, like things that are mm-hmm. uncomfortable. But there's two store. there's two studies I've read, both from. One from the Department of Defense, the other one, I forget, some other government agency, but not like a political organization, like a department. And it said that if the electricity grid failed in America tomorrow, within one year, two-thirds to 90% of Americans would be dead. Uh, That's pretty dark. Like, to even have that in your head and then say, oh, well, somebody will take care of it. Somebody will figure it out.
1: Real quick, you said in one year of the grid going out, 90% of all people would be dead? Two-thirds
0: to, ni- in America, two-thirds to 90% of Americans would be dead. Now, there are billions of people living, or oh, last time I checked, it was 1.1 billion people who still don't have electricity at all, right? Yeah, so, okay. So they'd be fine, and the Amish get along fine. But okay. our society, as it's constructed, we have lost all of the skills. So imagine what happens. The grid, I read a book about this called One Minute After, really good it might be one day after i think it's one minute or one second after one minute one second one day after. Yeah, one minute or one second after and it's about this event it's about emp blast which is a high altitude duke just belts all the electronic circuitry basically so any car after 1950 doesn't work like there's all the electricity is gone like all the you can't even pump gas you know like how the hell do you mm-hmm. get your gas if you don't have electricity Right. so maybe it is an electricity matrix because there's no gas without electricity pump, but you can st- <laughs> you can still pump gas if you had to anyway but the point is that what happens well lots of things happen the first thing that happens is you know people are like oh well whatever lights will come back on in a second then people realize the lights aren't going to come back on and then all of a sudden it's like well who's got the guns who has the food how are we going to ration the food What do we do whenever a big city of basically zombie-type people who are hungry come marching through the country looking for food? There are no insane asylums anymore. There's just drugs. The people who were insane asylums 50 years ago, now they're medicated. There is no more medicine. What happens when all of the crazy people get off all Mm -hmm. of their crazy pills? What kind of cults emerge?
1: Wow. This is, you know,
0: yeah, you have no, even something as simple as diabetes. You have no insulin. People start dying of diabetes. People, all the old people die who are on the drugs and die fast. Every young person dies who has any type of small medical calamity. that's easily managed with a small prescription. And then it's just, it's, but you see the community get through it. There could be life on the other side, but the people that survive an event like that are not going to be the people who can rebuild the internet. They're they're gonna be the people that you know showed up with a gun in their head when you knocked on their door, or right. it didn't show up at all, but they had a bead pointed at you and you didn't even know it. it right. laugh, you know, like, they're gonna, oh, yeah. like it's, it's not gonna be a very super awesome world for people but I don't like fear-based selling. I don't, it's like say telling a college kid, if you don't go sell books, you're going to be miserable at life and have a very mediocre career. Talking to people about the grid falling down is so far beyond the realm of most people's possibility that it's, you know, it's not even worth considering that if you did consider it, you'd be like, that's dark and twisted and you're weird. And I don't want to think about it. And then you might be left with something like, well, what can I do about it? Yeah. Well, you and I know there is actually something that can be done about it. Cause if you had a hundred million homes producing and storing their own electricity, then it really doesn't make that much of a difference anymore. You a bunch kind of, of microgrids, Yeah. Like all over the place. I want to live in a world that works because the sun comes up and nobody has to go to work in order to make that electricity keep going. So we have more time to do what we love doing, which is all I was going for when I didn't understood, understand that I was caught in an oil matrix and I was trying to teach people to be successful so they could go out and with a little bit of heart, without selling their soul entirely, go into the world, earn a really high amount of income from providing some sort of service. So at least they could feel comfortable. At least they could feel safe. And then they could right. just demean the people who hadn't done well and live with the philosophies like 1800s people, rationalized slavery. We rationalize, those are just off-schedule people or those are bad people, or those are lazy people, and we'd rather blame each other than look around at the system and say, what's the entire thing that's going on here? Like, we live in a world where it's possible to run out. We live in a world that without dollars going to exchange for those people's time, then, you know, it's just a, it's a mad, mad world. And I read a quote one time that says, to be, to be incredibly well adjusted to a profoundly sick society is not a measure of mental health.
1: Like, Dang, repeat that for a second. Okay.
0: You cut out Google for a get the real quote, but it says, to, to, to be exceptionally, exceptionally well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society is no measure of mental health. Like Just because somebody mm-hmm. looks like they're doing really well when they haven't really considered what they're doing makes about as much sense as somebody that looks like they're doing a great job walking towards a cliff. Man, they've really got good form, but out of context. Yeah. You know yeah. <laughs> it's like look yeah. at that stride that dude's got it's like yeah but 20 feet from now there's a cliff, and he's got blinders on so he can't see it because he's got to just keep mm-hmm. walking and trusting that you yeah, know it's going to get better i mean that's so, yeah. exciting for you yeah
1: you should you should definitely talk with dylan barr you remember dylan right yeah well, yeah, yeah so uh i uh, just to sneak him in here again. Um he's he's one of our newest sponsors with Thought Leader. Um he he's actually his job is to get people to do a TEDx talk. Um yeah. and so like they they love
0: what a uh, what a great segue. Uh, so you- <laughs> dude,
1: your passion is my passion. I've I've like talked so much about some of the things that you've already shared on this podcast and then some because it really left the mark on me. Like I I have morphed into part of your thought process and, and seeing where everything comes from. And so um, you know, I, I love Dylan, right? He's the type of guy who's like, don't tell me what to do. I want to be independent and free and uh, and also genuine. So what he does is when they hire people to work with them at Thought Leader, uh, if you're looking for, you know, a good, a good career, what they do is they just take people like Lester or otherwise someone who's, you know, passionate on fire and, you know, has a mission in life that they want to share. Um, they help you land, rehearse and deliver a TEDx talk. Um, so that way, you can actually, Lester, land one of those and get your oil matrix. So <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, I, I would love it if uh, there was a oil matrix TEDx talk uh, from from you, Lester. That that would make my that uh, would make yeah, more I, than I've just my Dylan day. This
0: guy's new house. I need to be in touch with him anyway. We we're supposed to talk two months ago. So, do you see me on TEDx talk? You can know that it's Dylan that did it. And Heck yeah! He tells that they have a deep more together.
1: Love it, yeah. So uh, we we can get you in touch with Dylan for a new career in a very passion-filled um, uh, career field. Uh, that's public speaking, you know. So um, shout out Dylan for what he's got going on. Um, do you like? You didn't work directly with Dylan. He was in Aaron Schaefer's group, but um,
0: same family, same winning tradition. Same family,
1: game. yeah, absolutely. Um, Gorgeous woodhead Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, um, Miles was asking in the comments if there's any, like, secrets from Southwestern that you'd be willing to spill the beans on. And uh, maybe we can kind of make this as our, you know, towards the end of the the episode here for the next, like, 20, 30 minutes.
0: Um, What kind of secrets does he want to know?
1: Well, uh, I I heard urban legend was that you may have snuck into some um, key files back in the day. But uh, is it true that you had like a oh, master key? Right. To master that was just company? like the
0: key files thing. You're talking about when I had the master key to the company that I made a copy of. I used to be in the company all the time, right? Like all night. Yeah. And it started with just needing to get in my door, and so there was a key at that little desk where you walk into the right, so I could get in and I go put it back. But then I realized right. I had to get into Kevin's room one night, and I'm like, oh, it opens this door too. And it opens all the doors. And I was also just really angry because, um, you know, Matt had gotten fired. So I wanted to see what they would really said about him, you know? So I was just mm. digging through files to find out what was said about Matt. I don't have any, you know, I think probably the biggest secret about Southwestern is there's really not any secrets. The people that you look up to went through the same crap that you did and either got lucky to have a wonderful student manager and sales manager to put them back together or we at a point in their life, like where I've come to sit with the entire Southwestern experience and in general, I can't view the ineptitude of humanity and not want to kill myself without this little morsel that I remind myself of, <laughs> which is um, if I had your genes and your experiences, meaning your influences, the things you've seen, then I'd be making your choices. Like, I'm just an interpretive bot, basically, that based on what I was set up with, my internal code, and then all the experiences that morph that, like my software, that I'd be doing the same thing. And so that, you know, allowed me to gain some compassion towards the end. Another way of phrasing that is to say that, you know, not confusing who someone is with where someone is. Like, Mm. where we are in our journey is just where we are. You know, there's, you know, and I've, my programming leads me to live life in ways that scare people and that scare people for me. Like most people aren't willing to go, you know, seven, eight years looking like an idiot to, you know, basically, hey, I'm a super successful dude, but not anymore. I don't have anything to show for this in order to create something that makes sense, you know? And finally, you know, we had our first million dollar quarter last quarter, which is not much, but it's the beginning of like this, we set something up that was beautiful. So as far as Southwestern goes, it might sound like I'm playing like Southwestern Patsy or whatever, but they're even at a director meeting, it's all about how can we help these people succeed more? Like, we're all just like, what can we do that would allow these people that we work with, to have a better experience so that maybe they could have a good enough experience to want to be like us someday <laughs> which is so vain maybe right But yeah maybe possibly two percent chance perhaps it could occur but, uh i mean big secrets there's probably been just to bring it back there's probably been a gay subculture at Southwestern for a lot longer than anybody's known about I've always kind of suspected that but that's just to bring it up in context because of the four (laughs) or five times (laughs) I really don't mean that I'm just trying to figure out how to work this back (laughs) in.
1: that's so funny (laughs) it's like the worst
0: um I mean sometimes people don't pay their accounts and even though they get letter like somebody owes money at the end of the summer and they'll send letters, but at the end of the day, they're not really going to put anything on your credit report, or at least, you know, that's well, just crazy. Uh, I'd say the one thing that, without mentioning any direct prices that would be surprising to anyone who doesn't understand how business works, is the, and it shouldn't be surprising given how many people of a book is very inexpensive it's all the stuff that goes on around it like having access to a harvard grad as the president of the company who can run stuff and allow you to learn about mr him you know like dan should be paid well he's been a warrior for a long long time and obviously i don't think any of the book people are book people without you know dan's influence and dan's not paid so extraordinarily well that he eats up the margins but I would say the thing that surprised me when I found it out that would be a southwestern secret is how little the books cost. But that's that's not Southwestern's evil. That's just like, guess what? Wholesale goods are less expensive than retail goods. Oh yeah. (laughs) So yeah, in order to stay in business for 150 years, there has to be a difference between what's printed and you know what they sell them to an independent dealer for. I guess that's why Dan
1: Moore, Dan Moore must have listed that dollar. Um five books set because that's all, all it actually cost them huh
0: <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more than that but yeah so that's the closest I'll give you to a secret I don't I don't have anything every I I one of the things that's always bothers me about alumni too talking about Southwesterns I don't understand how much it can change from a year one year it sounds the same it looks the same but at the end of the day the adventure is kind of the same you know, the people are still people, but there's a lot that can change just with a few leaders, you know, like JT or or like Matt or like AJ or like Vicky or you know, like Virgie, you know, it doesn't take our Shane Blick or all these guys. It doesn't take a lot of people to really ship things an entire way. And again, they're not even talking about Southwestern, they're talking about their context. So like, I remember their summers. I remember their student managers. I don't know about their HQ. I remember their student managers. And I remember their relationship with me and I had hoped to leave as many people as I left on a bad note, wish I hadn't, you know, I'd apologize to them face-to-face if anything I said or did was, which obviously if you've listened to me today, wouldn't be that hard to imagine a scenario where I might've said something a little bit off track that would really piss somebody off. doesn't mean I don't have a deep degree of thought or empathy put behind things. It was an attempt to help them do better, but the way I defined better might not have been completely aligned with what they thought was better, and so it created conflict and stuff at the end. What kind of things, um, sorry, I wish I could give you something more juicy. It's really, it's gotta be really, how does something last for 150 years without being simple and boring, all the way up and all the way down? Yeah, you know, I think I just, be...
1: I've heard like of uh, legal battles. I, I don't I don't know any details, but uh, I hear that they have quite the lawyers.
0: Um, some people... Matt Ross couldn't get his job back and he sued to get it back. So I would say that their lawyers are pretty good. <laughs> like exactly. they can keep somebody away. Um, I don't know of any legal battles. The only ones that ever came to my attention were the Southwestern truth thing from a long time ago. Yeah. And I believe that was a lot of libel and and stuff you know i think it was a a tragic experience combined with possibly some stuff that you can't say because it's not true you can't just go around slandering or libeling something because you don't like it really what it comes down to is like did southwest refuse to sell you books at the price that you agreed to sell them at well then nothing else was owed to you it was all yeah because
1: that's what's written into the dealer agreement right
0: right like (laughs) that's that's the dealer agreement did you get your books did you pay them for the books like you said that you would. Okay, well then everything else is about you and your experience and your organization. Like oh, yeah, so yeah. wholesale publisher of books. The rest is for your benefit, although you might have come to believe that it was to your detriment because somebody didn't care about you or whatever. Like I know that yeah. most like the thing that hurt me the most at Southwestern was that I love these kids and then they I'd see them grow up and they do great. Like they were right when they were starting to be useful. Like, okay, now you can actually go out and possibly influence a lot of people. And I've put the effort into you that will allow that to occur. You put the effort into doing it to allow it to occur, but then you leave. And then it seems like I never cared about you at all. Like it, it never mattered one bit. Like it was all just a joke. I just care about you if you sell books because I don't call you for two years, but the, or for 10 years or 15 years, like it's. I didn't stop caring. I just got busy. And right. then, but whenever I did have time, you'd gotten so busy. You know, I was trying to recreate that experience for all the people who were still there that caused you to want to have a continued relationship after. But I'm book you know, 1999 to 2002 and three, you know, to this day. And like, I probably got eight texts. We've been. Sick. Oh, man. I have a lot of the, friends that I met. That I what's that?
1: The strong. The internet is strong with you, bro. <laughs> You're coming in crystal clear. Uh, now, repeat it a little bit. You were just saying that uh, a lot of the people that you spent those '99 through 2003
0: summers. Yeah, I'm on a um, text with them right now. Like if I hit send, I probably have oh, yeah. today's world's. Um, Long well, area. Yeah. I've got one, two, three, four, five, you know, loves back for another talking about Tar Hill basketball. I've got three texts from three guys that sold books with me from that 1999 organization, the Ric Flair Stomping Dave Causer event sales <laughs> Tape. That, what are we, like 23 <laughs> years later? Yeah. And we're all still friends. So it was something real. Like, and I just like things that are real. I get myself in trouble a lot because I get bored with small talk. Like, I, <laughs> I feel like a bad person. I don't know most of my friends' kids' names. Like, you know, and I don't think that they expect you to if you don't talk all the time. But it's not that I don't care. Like, if they lost a kid or something, I would hurt for them because of a, that basic human experience. Um, and it would mean more to me cause it's somebody that I know, you know, the only kids I lost were before they were born. So I don't know what it would be like to lose children who invested are, all, in. are already real little people. And that's really dark to even talk about. But the point is, I think a lot of times we end up not connecting with each other because we think oh, I don't know enough about them. I haven't kept up with them. Or we're doing something where there's really no reason to reach out to somebody or they think that if you're reaching out to them, you must be trying to get something from them or else why would you be calling? You know? Join um, my
1: pyramid scheme today, Lester.
0: We've got health
1: food. We've got uh, watches. We've got timeshares. We've got wh- whatever you want. Let's. Uh, there's let's a lot up. of
0: people, but people do go. great in timeshares. I don't only watch people, but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we've got... Uh, Yeah, it's just, I don't really have, I don't have much to add to that. I, I, most of the people who I would count as very good friends that I could count on no matter what are people I met selling books. Maybe if I hadn't been there for 19 years, I would have met other friends in different ways and those relationships would have even been healthier and more bountiful and more abundant. I don't know. Uh, but I didn't live that life. I lived the extreme, crazy, why don't I go see how many of the, why don't I go run this movie over and over again and see if it has a different ending? You know, yeah, like, right. <laughs> I, I want to see how this plays out this time. I think we've got a good cast here. Like, we, got, we got a good script. we got a good cast. The movie turns out, you know. And It was, um, it was just a ton of fun. It was really a wonderful And you experience. definitely spent some time in Hollywood. Oh, from using those analogies about that stuff, yeah. yeah was right. there from, I, you know what I liked about living in Hollywood, Nick, is that – What's that? It, it was a – remember we were talking about the train, do, get versus create, share, receive thing? Like almost yeah. everywhere else in the world is exclusively train, do, get outside of like maybe a small restaurant or something most people aren't creating things and sharing it and receiving anything they're creating ideas in their mind that they like to do one day that they won't actually create or share you know and they it'll just be there forever and that's sad like so if anybody's hearing this i'm not a life coach you don't need a life coach you live in an oil matrix until we do something about that it doesn't matter you're always going to be frustrated you're always going to be traumatized um, but once we do something about that This is what i like to say about solar energy is it doesn't solve any problems in the world it just gives us the energy that we need to solve the problems Mm -hmm. because it can sound like solar is like some utopian solution and really it's just a better way to access the energy that we need it's the most boring logical thing that you could do i'm probably i joked about people getting boring but i'm probably the most boring person out of all of our friends because i'm when i do something i'm autistically focused on it i was with southwestern for 19 years it's not like I, a few years and something that I love is really going to dissuade me from continuing down the path. We're going to find a way to create, find a way to share, find a way to receive. So we were talking about what I loved about living in Hollywood is that most places are trained to get.
1: Hollywood's a different
0: story. People, everybody has a different story, but not, no. Yes, in, yes, it's a different story, but it's not because people aren't still Working, they still have their gig. They still have their hustle. They understand they live in an oil matrix. They need to do something in order to be able to drive to an audition and not be starving when they get there. But at the end of the day, you're weird if you're not working on a project. If you don't have, I'm working to create this play with this. I'm working on this new series, and you're surrounded by people that know that you can take a page full of words, and or a few pages of words and turn it into a multi-billion dollar franchise, right? That there is real business in creating things that you can share with people and then receiving either critical feedback and nobody goes and you lose money so you make a better movie next time right. or you create a hit and then it works out great and there's abundance for everybody. And so what I liked about being in Hollywood and just allowing myself time to decompress after 19 years and after a horrible start to solar after sat into a relationship with the first year that I married And yeah
1: that's a loaded sentence right there
0: yeah I mean after all that stuff allowing myself to do nothing and not even a created enough space for me to kind of see like what is going on like what in the hell is happening here like like what are the humans doing today Why are the humans doing that today? What did all those people that I was trying to help reach their goals tell me that they really wanted to do? How's that working out? What are the frustration points? Like what are the only thing that I could find that connected it at all was solar. Like when I got into solar, one of the reasons, because I didn't want to compete with any book people. And there weren't any book people in solar at the time. And, you know, where I am now is I don't believe there is any competition in solar because. at on the same team. There's 90 million people that need it. And I don't have enough time in my life to help all those people, no matter how big of an organization I build. Period. There is not enough time. There's not enough capable people, especially if you actually believe that climate change is, is an issue and we need to do something about it. Like, probably need to start with building a bunch of nuclear reactors to get rid of that, then put solar everywhere. So, you know, one of the reasons I'm not too big on climate change whenever having conversations is just because it's a political wedge issue and people don't understand it and it it, it, and the truth is while solar could solve it i don't know if we have enough time Um, so to me solar is more about energy security it's about resiliency it's about even if the ravages of climate change do come and the grid collapses that we can the sun will still be coming up and we'll still be able to make energy If china or russia decide to attack our utility plants and shut all the power off in the country they somehow can do that won't matter to you if you can make your own electricity at home it's hard to make people feel a general sense of dis-ease which is disease you know to feel (laughs) that worm at the core of something's wrong if it's not possible to cut them off from society if it's not possible to cut their ability off to connect and to create and to share you know because yeah. in order to create you need to connect in order to share you need to connect you know in order to receive you need to connect so what allows all connections to be possible energy and technology i am not smart enough to create technology we've got some good book people doing that stuff i see there's some tech people out there i'm not um, important enough or useful enough as a human to come up with a new form of energy. I'm never gonna come up with dark matter or zero point energy, but if that ever occurred, it'd be great. But by being a bug person, there's all kinds of good stuff. And Julio, you guys ought to talk to Fred too, Fred Mamura, he was the first Estonian to hit more, you know, and there's been a million now. And they've got a solar roof company that we're talking to in Estonia, it's like an Estonian, but you know how people are always asking about solar roofs and it's like-
1: Yeah, what, what's the what's the name of their,
0: their solar operation? Stone? What was it? Solarstone, check it out. Solarstone. E- I'm gonna check that out ASAP. That's awesome. Get ready for all climate shit, but it'd be a great solar carport option. looks like it's gonna be affordable. We're helping them come to the US and, you know, people. Are, so if anybody wants a solar roof, here's the thing. You, like what you're thinking of, I have like three things to say. One, it's not as efficient. Solar doesn't work well in the heat. If there's yeah. no air gap between the top of your house you're not going to produce very much energy if the it's kind of a far, right? I love it. Number two, it's not very, uh, you can't really customize it. And then number three, what you're really probably saying is something like aesthetics, right? So I would, I would right. challenge you to realize that what you hated about people in the summer are their stupid stuck mindsets of this is not how we transact. If I wanted books, I would go to the store. I judge instantaneously that this interaction is not for me. And it says not interested, not interested. Like that's what you've heard for your entire life because of people who were afraid that if they gave you the time of their day, they were going to lose something, money, status, whatever, that would no longer allow them to fit in into this very small contrived corner of this very big world where people would like them so they all live in the neighborhoods. they all have the hoas and so what i would say is your aesthetics thing is just bullshit it's a seventh grade trauma response to not wearing the right shoes to school or have the right shirt yeah. or later on not having the right car or the right degree or the right promotion it's just a pace setter game like how long do you have to play a pace setter game before you realize that the game you were playing equipped you to do something phenomenal if you choose, but if you want to keep playing pace setters, it's called dollars. Congratulations, you got a million two ten. Woohoo! You won. Do you want yeah, do you right. want something written on the cover of the pace about you, or do you want to get over like ridiculous, non-logical objections like aesthetics and solar roofs? So that I just felt like saying something real Lesterish to be like, "Come on, book people." We got a lot of work to do Mm -hmm. so you can call nick you can call the you can call any of the guys that i mentioned that work with sunron you can call julio yeah call you can call me you can call the you can call the swenson brothers like but for the love of god don't be the people who grew up and got so afraid of what people would think about them that you're afraid to improve the functionality of your roof. It's just like carrying a first year with you on a follow day. Pretty worthless. At the end of the day, if you do a good job, pretty good. Right now your roof, other than keeping the water out, it's pretty worthless. It just sits around all day. Just like you did in the afternoon when you were off schedule. Just like (laughs) sitting there.
1: Yeah, so why not improve the functionality of something that doesn't really have that?
0: Right, why not make it useful? like why not make your roof useful like for everybody, including yourself and save yourself some money and all that. So there's a million ways you can go solar. Um, if You run an organization. If you run a nonprofit, if you run a school, get in touch with me because the coolest part, I'm going to pitch what we do real quick, Nick. Please do. The coolest part, we're kicking this back up in Q3. Um, so we have three months and we already have some book people who are working with us on this. We have like 15 schools in Florida that we met through book people that we're working with again but the way we reach people is we run fundraisers we partner with an organization they send out a link they're like hey people who support us why don't you learn about clean energy and we'll receive a donation when you do And you don't even have to buy anything and so then people click and they sign up and they come to something like this but with a bunch of people in the room they have a good time because they get to meet me or holly flintner works with us now she's holly Myers. she's a super badass book girl you ought to get her on sometime. She tells. I've heard about story. her. Yeah, we've got a lot of good recommendations for book guests that would be fun. People I really like to listen to and see what they're up to nowadays. Um, uh, then there's, I forgot what we're. Oh yeah, and so then they it's come amazing. and they learn about clean energy, and we give a donation to the organization. And most people, after they hear an intro, want to have a demo. And so for us, our intro, our approach, we don't do. Organizations do churches and schools that want to raise money. Although I can't imagine many churches want to work with me after the color of the conversation. But the fact that I know that shows that maybe I know how to treat your people when they come. There's just a lot of people that respond a lot of different ways. So you need help raising funds and you want to ask people to learn about something to hop on a computer. We can do that. And we do everything remotely. There's a lot of people that we will never reach because of how we do business, which is why we need every type of solar company doing business in every type of way. But if you're connected to a community organization, nonprofit, let us know. We'll be happy to create a create a theme for you. We call it a clean energy for a cause event. Give some money to you for sending people learn about solar, and then we can usually save them a bunch of money, um, which you know people care about in the oil matrix.
1: A dollar saved is a dollar earned. They say
0: matrix credit. Uh, you want to talk about today? you have any other questions? Like who my favorite person I've ever worked with? Do you guys have any rapid fire questions that you put to people?
1: Well, uh, um, before we do that, I'm going to plug some of our last sponsors because, man, this thing has been fun, Lester. <laughs> InLight Energy is obviously the solar company that I reside with right now. And uh, it's been a blast uh, working with InLight because uh, we've really kind of put a lot of systems in place, especially more recently, where uh, we're able to help anybody in any market. Um, you know, what I, what I'm kind of doing is building, you know, from hand, uh, from scratch, rather just like a checklist of everything, somebody having this conversation of, you know, let me help you get around these misconceptions, Mr. And Mrs. Homeowner and understand what's actually being offered. Uh, once people know that they can finance a deal, you know, they're, they're way more likely to get it. Um, so we take a very educational approach. Um, it takes uh, for us, way that our um, systems are set up it's you know a deal every other week uh, equates to you know a really good uh, paycheck uh, for six figures of earnings so um, there's a lot of really cool potential in the fact that uh, book people can work with us or work with Lester you know there's really um, cool um, vibe of um, collaboration as opposed to competition in the the solar industry Um, and I learned so much from you Lester and I'm bringing it to to Enlight and you know we're thankful for it. Yeah. So uh, other other sponsors, right? You got V Designly, um, V Design. They're based out of the um, based out of Estonia. So um, Oscar and Oliver, they are a couple awesome current book people that are you know in their free time when the uh, the pandemic hit, um, Oscar and Oliver actually started working on web design for building out websites for uh, businesses there in Estonia. And so Eastern Europe's like a huge um, tech hotbed. They got really good at it. And now they're starting to go stateside. So our website is um, for the podcast, almost ready uh, to be published here. And that's because they've been, you know, getting really into the details to provide an experience for all of those listen to the podcast. You can check out all of our other sponsors on a landing page and um, learn about this network that we're bringing to life uh, because of the efforts that they've been putting on behind the scenes. So if you want a new website, we'll get you in touch with them. Um, and then, of course, Cardinal Senior Benefits. My gosh, these guys are doing so great that uh, they are um, obviously promoting They're tons awesome. of great news. Max is there,
0: too. Max Clark.
1: Yeah, yeah, Max Roberts, and Pedro. Con Brifo. Um, there's so many awesome people that work with Cardinal, and it, it makes it easy for them to actually point to a lot of success in their ranks. And so um, what's been really cool to see is just exactly how well they've been doing. Um, like, they're growing for their fourth year in a row by doubling production for the fourth year in a row. And so one of the major appeals, right, is there's tons of other Southwestern alumni working with them. Uh, I think like 29 total book kids, um, where all of what they're trying to do is, um, schedule their life around lifestyle and goals, not just, you know, their client's availability. So if you want actual work life balance, if you want to impact clients in a meaningful way and have a healthy six figure income Cardinal could be the right fit for you. Um, feel free to refer yourself, or a friend, or several friends. Uh, for anyone that is hired, you will earn a five hundred dollars referral bonus. Uh, so yeah, we love working with Quentin. He's been a joy to you know be on top of helping us build out our podcast, and we're thankful for them and everybody else. Uh, but yeah, dude, some rapid fire questions that I've got for Lester Crafton, um, dude. You, I don't know if we actually covered your your like your craziest story of all time. Was that the Ric Flair story, or was there like a whole other? Uh, story that's like near the top of your list for the ponytail whether it be yeah like the
0: previous story of my whole time like there are a lot of things that people would find crazy like i lived in new york city and los angeles for five years right like yeah (laughs) like living in new york you fly in and remember oh my gosh people built these giant buildings so whenever i'm leaving campus and flying home every week you know it was uh wild stuff i would have been like there are a lot of things i've done that people would consider wild like uh penis puppetry um there (laughs) there are you know what's really wild that almost nobody ever gets to hear about
1: i would love to hear what's wild that nobody else gets to hear about.
0: and i think that it like unless you've experienced it like unless you're a sales manager you really haven't ever had maybe a conversation like this unless you've had a kid please that has just done something Horrible. um it also kind of speaks to a lot of the sickness at times mm. is there you know there are people in the summer and this that actually just make up how much they're selling right like yeah. and i don't mean like you might have to win an award where you said you had a weak customer or you counted somebody solid that was weak or like minor integrity breaches but they're still integrity breaches but they're minor And, you know, you can kind of keep going. I'm talking about people that would go out for the summer and sell maybe like under 100 units for the summer, like nothing. And they would come back to checkout having not sold what they said they sold, but having gotten so used to lying about it that they just continue the act when they get to checkout. It's just like, how far does this go? And I've had conversations for three hours because it's so confusing. It's like, I don't, these, your numbers don't make sense. There's no way you could owe this much. Like this just doesn't, there's something like you haven't paid for something. You like, and you realize that. And so I've had people that came back. And so when I said, speaks to the sickness, imagine how sad you must have to be as a human with whatever's going on at home, that you're willing to go out just to get away from home. And you've got some people that treat you okay you know, better than you were at home and you don't want to leave to go back home, but you certainly don't want to go out and get treated like you do at home by the people, you know, whose doors you're knocking on, which is what it feels like if you're not all the way on track. And then it gets a little bit worse and you don't want to leave, but you don't want to go back and you're stuck in this parallel universe. And so you figure out, I don't want to go follow every day because that's a waste of my time. So I'll just say that I sold enough to get them off my back. Kind of like what most people do in their careers with their bosses. Let me do just enough to get my boss yeah. off my back so I can keep doing what I want to do. It's not like a dysfunctional thing, but to see the levels or depths that somebody is willing to go. go a fish is uh, remarkable. Like I think, didn't you, Yvette tell a story about the guy that had the books in the, in the cornfield or wherever it was. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. And my first like, time I had somebody
1: seen, in my org did Just that, and then uh Pat Roach shared a story of a, a first year that was like hitting PC in the middle of Art the Green
0: it was, it was Art big. Green. I think <laughs> I his think name was so. Mark Green. Yeah, I remember yeah. Mark Green. <laughs> He's on the cover of the base center. Yeah, or yeah. Mark David or John David or something. I forgot what his yeah, name. Yeah, man. Yeah, that guy's alive in the world today. And so, you know, I think there's reason that people like Yvette, Pat, and me bring it up is because it really. You have to see it to believe it. And like, when you see something that really challenges your basic belief and whether or not what someone is saying can be trusted and the depths to which they, in the lengths to which they will go, it's like hard to keep your faith in humanity a little bit, you know? So one of the things that is very underrated about anyone who has spent any time leading people at Southwestern is that none of it works unless you actually believe in human beings. And it's not that you're naive. That's probably the thing that I've disliked the most in the last seven years as I've been down this crazy-ass journey starting this organization to make yeah. a giant difference in the world is, like, I hate to hear you're naive or you're Pollyanna. Like, you're just too idealistic. You're talking about right. this world. It sounds like some utopian bullshit, like, don't you know about the real world? I'm like, you mean the oil matrix? Yeah, I thought this through <laughs> while you were working to get oil matrix credits. to I actually took some time off to think this through. And it's just, um, I don't have a lot of faith anymore that humans are going to do what they say they're going to do really at all. Sure. So, but I do believe that we can create a world where it matters a lot less if they do, right? Like nobody really cares that much if a little kid does what it says it's going to ah, Who cares? You didn't really impact much anyway. Yeah. And you, if you'll recall, there was never a time where you had a class that said, "Welcome, you're now an adult." You're still a kid. You just slowly changed into this person you are today. But that doesn't mean that who you actually are and who you were born to be doesn't still reside within you. And it seems to me that that part gets cut off when we start trying to figure out how we have to be something to fit somebody else's idea of what it is to be good or right or whatever. And so I think there's a lot of people in the world are doing just enough to barely get by. And as long as they can hide, they're willing to hide. But this is a time in history where it's just not okay for people um, to hide who have the potential that book people do
1: make a difference absolutely
0: nick you can afford it like you're good at playing the oil matrix games i know you have money i'm grateful that you have money this is none of this has been intended to as any type of knock at all like you're the reason that i had faith that i could go seven years to the bottom of the depths of human existence and come out great because i'm like well they can do it i can do it so i'm not worried about can i go play this game can i go be a vp of sales somewhere well if i don't talk about De- like uncolorful stuff, you know, and I'm a little bit PC, maybe. Can I go be a trainer or something? Probably, but why, you right. know? And so why matters to me. And um, I guess if there's one thing that I would say, it's that nobody ever asked me this question until I was in Los Angeles. I already finished with Southwestern. I never asked anybody this question. I asked them a watered down version of it every day but never ask him this. And the question would be like, what would you love to do? Like, and you don't have to answer that today. It's not really for you. It's a thought question. It's for anybody. It's like, what would you love to do? Not what would you like to do? Not what do you think you could succeed doing? What could you do that would eventually allow you to do what you love to do? But like, what would you love to do? And if you figure that out, then all the things that are supposed to make things hard, just make it a better story along the way. Like if you know in the end, if you really believe, do you believe good wins in the end? That'd be good. Like if you don't believe that, then don't even waste any time thinking about it. Be a sociopath and go get as much as you can. Like the guy in the story that takes everything from everybody. Maybe right. one day you'll win that game and you'll finally have enough to realize it doesn't matter. You know, being a, I think one thing that John and I, John Kerry, my co-founder partner, have in common also, shout out to Channing Porter, who's another book girl that went out into the city with me and beta tested the very first earliest version of what we're yeah, doing. Shout now. out to both of them. Yeah, so Channing's beautiful human, and I couldn't. And Chris Oberly is a book guy that is a computer programmer, like oh, a and Five company that did a lot of our software at the beginning. And but John's the partner that's with me, and. I think the one thing that we're very fortunate, and I know a lot of book people could probably relate to this, is that we had, because we grew up, I grew up on a farm, you know, poor farmer, manual labor, secretary mom, manual labor, dad. John grew up with a mom, single mom, trailer popping around all over the place, raised by the community. Is it because of where we came from, we didn't really have to have a lot to realize that there is no additional happiness that can come from piling up more. And so once we had enough to realize, okay, we can be great in that world. Then we got to ask, well, what do we really want to do? What would we love to do? And like you were saying earlier, what really feels good to me is adding as much value as possible, as many lives as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, it makes me feel good every day to see all the kids I worked with. And I didn't get like the thing that makes me sad about this, I didn't get to talk about all of them. Like, I would love to go through and just talk about the people I've had a chance to reconnect with in just the last year. Like this kid yeah. Houston from West Virginia, you know, and and uh, Jason Rose and Benji Graybill and all the Washington guys. And then Kleifkin's killing it with yeah. everything he does. And then there's Sika and, and who's become this weird. Chris Sika is the best connector of people I ever met in my Southwestern career. Like just really good at connecting, heartfelt like, is real, like, so real, really cares, but he's somehow become, like, this financial guru now. And then Dan Cumming, who's always been brilliant and poetic and artistic, is doing something with, like, augmented reality. And Luke works for PayPal, I think, now. I think about them as my Richmond group. And then I think about, you know, the and kids. I've already mentioned Adam and Tina, but there's a bazillion other ones up there, too, like Jason and Lauren Kinski, who are the whole Kraza family. I mean, heck, Kayla Kraza was sell more books than any first year in history except for like one or two you know and now she owns her own jewelry company and her big sister katie who's raising a great mom or was a great mom like there's just billy hash and like uh, matt Baumgartner runs like the biggest boat dealership and on the east coast there's people i've lost touch with who don't want to talk to me at all like daniel weiner there's people like jen payne down in charlotte who are doing all kinds of amazing things k2 and joe ladman who run their own like Child development, like brain stuff, to work to they make playgrounds for people to keep kids healthy. They own a brewery and they're involved in leadership stuff. Hey Cunningham, keeping people fit. That's the Charlotte. You know, Jim owns a couple of businesses. There's. I just went by state and thought about you know all the people, and then I mean, we spent like two minutes talking about. Brandon today, and Brandon is uh, such a key, important central figure in my Southwest. Would have done all of these like, and that's just a small piece. Like we worked together building a business. He was really good at the stuff that I was bad at, and he was willing to do the stuff that I was bad at, and it created really a really workable, fun thing to the point where we bought a condo together, you know, like at the end of the career. And probably the re- the real reason I ended up leaving is because all my friends left. You know, we could get right. up in arms yeah. about philosophy and what I liked and didn't like, but like and Tina and there's Mike Davis on the insurance company, and I've already talked about Peter and who else do I have? I mean, the UT groups, the show Forbes. It's just, and that's I and mean, There's I could go forever. Like, yeah. so what I, what I really regret? Like, you, know, you mentioned Andy Laws and Brooke worked, and they're doing great stuff early, and then. There's just so many people that I am so grateful for that have impacted me in some way, either through some triumph or some reaction to adversity that I knew wasn't the reaction that I would choose to have when faced with that, that they gave me information for how to respond differently. And then being willing to allow me to be so fucked up as a person, like who the hell uses an anal sex analogy to make a very simple point about Hey, I'm talking to you about doing something different, you know. But that's from that's from an era before I dealt with my sexual abuse stuff as a kid, right? So I was a little bit more stuff there. It's just now I don't care, so I'll say anything. But but I'm fortunate that so many humans for so long had enough faith, you know, old guys, Chris and Alex and Paul and Dave and Lee and Dave Stroud and just Wills Allen and you know, Bunny Stream and April April McCollum, who's baying now. She's got her solar job finished yesterday, you know. Nice. So, one of the things I like best about solar job, I had a reason to get back in touch with all these people. But, you know, I could keep, like, we could, we could have an entire episode where all I do is go through and talk about how awesome I think it is and all these people that I worked with are doing all this really rad stuff oh, now. Yeah. And I didn't have anything to do with it. I am just along for the ride and if i if my part was just conveying some messages that they applied to allow them to do the things that they're doing so you know i appreciate you having me on it's always fun to talk about southwestern stuff i would say i apologize to book people if you've been offended by anything i've said but i'm not going to there are old things (laughs) i apologize but i won't yeah, I was, yeah you. <laughs> you're, you're a book person. Get over it. If you have a problem right. with me, then tell me about it, you know, because I remember I like and I'll listen to you and I'm, I I do apologize if i had done anything or say anything to hurt you or harm you. And If I'd like to, I would like to know about that. So I could apologize if that is the case. But, you know, it's just kind of like I have that guilt that a parent might have that raised 50 kids like. There's
1: a lot of chances. Turn to mess out. Up. If I
0: hadn't done that with that, have that. A lot of chances to mess up, but what a wild, like what a crazy experience to get to hear all of those stories. So no, I'm sorry. I don't have any funny. No, I've got good. Brandon's first summer. He, he saw this dude that had an alligator and the alligator was crawling out. And he's like, get back in your hole. owl And Brandon <laughs> told me about it and said, you can't say anything to anybody about this. Cause this guy will like come and kill me. He told me not to tell people there was an alligator. So I was like, telling him the story back. I'm like, at hey, breakfast the next morning, breakfast. i said, like, you really saw an alligator yesterday? And then the dude walks in and like, looks at us. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like He thought he was gonna die. I mean, there's those colorful things, you know, I saw it. Yeah. But I remember when I first started selling books, I had a goat on top of a car. And I, I took a picture of it because I was like, wow, that's really weird. I was selling deep in the country. Yeah, right. But now, I mean, would that even wiggle the radar on most book people? No, that no that's, that's like
1: deep. selling in the country expectation right there. Right.
0: It's just sort of like these are the things that happen. And I have such a wide swath of experiences because I didn't just mm-hmm. live my experience every night when i would see the stats from my organization i had to imagine what was that day like for that person like i know what a sit down day feels like i you know 10 customer day feels like they were interpretive human experiences in an attempt to understand to add value so i've just lived i feel like I'm like, I'll be 45 this year and I feel like I'm 45 going on like 250 just because of the overwhelming number of experiences that I've had because of the people that I was fortunate enough to meet who were willing to yeah. give a day or a week or a summer or 10 of their lives to go on this shared journey and the shared adventure with me. Yeah. So, you know, I, how, how small, would it be of me to whine about an organization that gave me that opportunity? Were there problems at the end? Yeah. But who the hell has a 20 year relationship that doesn't have some kind of problems. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the day, Nick, what do you want to talk about? That's a rapid fire question that led to a long fire answer. I'm picking <laughs> up my computer cord. So it'll run out of juice soon and make it go.
1: Oh, you're fine. You're fine. I'm not in a hurry. Well, uh, Thanks for listening so you. well. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, let me ask you this. If we were to have you on again with someone like a KJ or a, you know, Matt Ross is still with the company, but uh, we we should definitely have like a panel episode where you and some of these other people that you worked with, like Brandon, like KJ, like anybody else, I'd love to hear those stories. Oh my
0: God. Yeah. Like if you want (laughs) to, like, it's not that we don't have stories that are pretty remarkable, like of wild things that just, I don't even remember anymore. Like, but as soon as it's said, like I have this theory that my entire younger life was lived to create, like my youth was used to create comedic content for my middle-aged life. And here we are. Like, I, yeah, I remember to look back, I'm like, I, I did that. I said that like, <laughs> holy cow, what kind of twisted individual <laughs> with like, you know, because most of the stuff about book stories aren't really like from the book field. Like I remember mm-hmm. I was a young sales manager. I rented some car. I don't know why I didn't have a car at the time. It was like this tiny car and had a paper license plate. The paper license plate blows off. I've been recruiting for like three weeks. I get arrested for driving without a paper license plate. My license was probably suspended at the time, too. I don't remember why they they arrested me. But I was trying to drive to Chapel Hill to go see a football game. Matt was driving from Arizona, and I called him from jail. And so he drove an extra like three hours to pick me up and then three hours back the other way. And then we went to the game. You know, I've got stories like deciding to go to Atlantic City at four o'clock in the morning and then driving. You know, I've got stories wow. from like the crazy part is how I live my life. At the end of my career, I was taking so much Adderall, I would like stay up for three nights out of seven in the week. You know, that's one of the reasons I was glad to have my break, because I'm completely unmedicated now, other than natural sources, which are preferable. Um right. so, but at this moment. feels really good i had a chance to get some of my health back which i lost during COVID. but not flying everywhere like extreme stuff like most of that just came from i mean the opportunity you know there's just so many things like that's just one example of like a really good friend so most of my good book stories are like you know i went to bonnaroo uh with kevin for his uh bachelor party and I was the best man at his wedding. He was a preacher at mine, you know. And when we were at Bonnaroo, that was—I mean, Henry went with us, and he literally—I learned what the word "overlooked" meant because if there were anything that could have been questionable that we may or may not have been doing, Henry always made sure to look up to overlook <laughs> it because he had to maintain his so a lot of like we'll put that rumor to rest for all you old guys a lot of people thought did henry go do drugs with western kevin at bonnaroo and brandon the answer is no unfortunately he did not
1: unfortunately
0: but you know um but henry was and still is super cool like if henry Bedford hadn't come into southwestern my whole life is different he's the one that told me it was possible to ask questions shake things up listen to people take things in a whole new direction Like, and I've been blessed with an overwhelming number of mentors and relationships throughout my life. Exactly. Yeah. So a panel would be really fun. Even if you left me off, if you brought Matt, KJ on, you could, if you want to, like, Brandon, here's this, like, it's just ridiculous stuff. So you're thinking about stories. Most of our stories are like this. So Brandon and I, when we're living in Nashville, park our car or park my car in a parking lot. And it closed at midnight. And so we were still out. We came back and they'd stolen our car, right? The lot was closed. You have to come back in the morning. And this is before Uber and there were no taxes, credit cards. We were basically stranded. And so then we just decided, well, we're just going to go in. And so like got on the handle, pulled the handle down, walked in, raised the gate, you know, took the car out with a lot of interesting stuff in between. I can tell you (laughs) stories about, playing 510 high limit high low omaha pot limit crazy game six thousand dollar pots with the guy that fought chickens and painted houses north of town (laughs) That you know i've got a lot of crazy stories it doesn't even include you know the wildness that was my marriage but the like there's a lot of things and that's a very long way of saying if you want to have a panel of people on to tell those kinds of stories or stuff we don't even remember from the book, Phil.
1: It's on, it's happening.
0: It has I'm a lot of really clear. funny stories. Yeah, it'll be good, man. I, I'm, I'm welcome. To, I won't run out of things to talk about. Like I could have a three hour podcast about John Kerry, <laughs> you know, or Adam, yeah, Adam right. Allen, or Ted Edmonds or like, you know, any of those humans, Talby, like, Peter and Davis Miller and Jane, who are still good friends of mine. I didn't even talk about them because I wasn't thinking about Clemson. You know, then you got Jill Poston and like. See, I'll just keep going. Like my life has just been blessed by so many. Like Dave Davidson, like it just doesn't end. When I start thinking of one person, I think, oh, that person, that person, that person, that person, that person. That's, that a, person.
1: that's a pretty, you know, blessed, lucky, you know, well-connected life to live, yeah. man. And uh, I love that. uh I'm. I can count myself as one of those connections, because, um, yeah. dude, I tell you what, I've thought, you know, oftentimes about the role that you played in in my own life and you know, cerebral development. You know, s- sleeping on your couch while I was doing MITT back in the day, and all these other run-ins that we've had throughout the years. I'm, I'm grateful for you, Lester. Yeah. Uh, I've I've looked up to you, and I've learned a lot from you. And I you know I wish nothing but the best. It's, it's exciting to to hear that OvaNova is really picking up more than they ever have, and. Um, you know, by all means, uh, keep it up. Let's uh, see how we can help each other make those wins. Those omni wins of, uh, helping that transition to a cleaner, brighter, uh, sustainable future. So gosh,
0: I'm, 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 thank you, Nick, for your kind words and you do the same. There's one thing you can call me for is I'm not very good at quitting. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm, (laughs) I'm pretty good at finding a way. And so. I don't think that I'm the hero. I think the homeowners and the organizations and people like you are the heroes of this story. But humans collectively, we have a story to write about our future. Is it going to be, we laid down and let the king keep torturing us while we complained and blamed other people for not doing it as well as we do and their mistakes. We're going to build a world that works because the sun comes up in the morning. Like that's our choice. We can do it the next two decades. Is it going to take a lot of work? Yes. You got to do some stuff? Yes. Like, but is it possible? Hell yeah, it's possible. And if we have enough people involved, I know we could get a lot more done, a lot faster than most people think it could happen. And we won't need governments and complaints. We'll just get it done. So... We won't need governments to do that job. I don't want to throw off what tiny shredded credibility I had with anybody was saying we won't need governments. It sounds like I'm talking about some anarchic you you could utopia. Up, up, you could do 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 do, see utopia. I can't even say my words right. That means it's time to go. Anything else you want to talk about today, Nick?
1: No. Let's uh, let's definitely get you on so we can talk more in the future. Um, yeah. it's, it's always a pleasure, Lester. Um, you know, in the in the not too distant future, it'd be cool to see in person, whether in Mexico, Bizzler, right? Bizzler. Yes, well, yeah, I'm
0: single. So I was just- <laughs>
1: don't have as many <laughs> responsibilities tying you down for that August 15th through the 19th, $1,500 to get your flight included and everything. That's so not, get your passports now. get them it? updated and oh yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah. These, Remember you used have to have to work 80 hours a week and then really hard and do really well to get a trip to Mexico. That took, uh, how much is three months of your time worth now? Well, oh. you know, now it's only for only fifteen hundred dollars, you can go to business. <laughs> yeah, you stay- yeah, right. Act now because prices so, are going. up. Eleven $1, hundred dollars if you just go and buy the flight. Where's it going to be? Do you know the resort?
1: Yeah, Playa del Carmen. Um, it's going to be the Valentin oh, Imperial Resorts over there. So it's kind of more of a GRG feel versus a Sizzler. So anyway, um, you know, not only uh, had had the Bizzler with us. Um, you know, be a, a, a monthly supporter, um, be part of our stable. Um, there's plenty of other ways that you can stay involved in the Ponytails Podcast Network and everything that we're building out here. If you want to be a sponsor, not only can you get your you know words on the air like we've been doing with everybody today, but you can also join us on biweekly derby meetings where you're able to share business tips and tricks with the likes of Pat Roach, Will Metcher, and everyone else we mentioned on this podcast. So that sounds fun. Um, Will's yeah. good to do.
0: Uh, there's the what's. I was I going to tell you, um, that all sounds good. I'm open to any of those things. Um, <laughs> what was I going to tell you at the end about all that? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. None of it does like on a long enough timeline, <laughs> we're looking at the heat death of the universe, unless we figure out what to do about it, or how to take on some other form entirely. So I would say the most important thing to remember is after, even after 20 years, even after 20 years of having to pretend like it was the most important thing that ever happened in order just to keep it going, it's really not, it's not true. It's not important. Nothing's important. You're going to die. And so maybe realize you only have one life instead of acting like you're going to keep living forever. And maybe we'll actually be able to live forever if we are productive enough to figure out how we can be useful in this one life. And uh, thanks for having me on. And doesn't matter. None of it matters and let me know if I could be useful to you in any way.
1: <laughs> None of it matters, but will matter to you. It will uh, matter to you. Love it, Lester. Thanks for everyone for tuning in to episode number one thirteen of the ponytails podcast. We got some pretty cool people um here in the near future. You can check those out. On oh, I website. know
0: you need to yeah. talk to Fred. Fred's one of the more interesting people I've met in a while.
1: Okay. Cool. Fred we'll Romero.
0: Well, I mean, Fred's like, he's over there right now. His job is to harass convoys. He's like Estonian military. Oh, you're talking
1: form. in Eastern Europe right now.
0: Yeah, he's in Eastern Europe, and he's trying to keep a war from coming to Estonia, because should it come there, yeah. then he'll be there harassing convoys. He's like a lone agent that goes oh, out yeah. to the back of some purse. He's also involved in Solar, with solar Stone, so can magnify those stories but he's he's hilarious and uh, very very intelligent human i've enjoyed meeting so i didn't know him at all three months ago but in the last three months i've really enjoyed getting to know him and somebody i'd recommend having on
1: man we really could go on for a while but everybody else you know that would be a great fit but again thank you for tuning in everybody um you know check us out on all these platforms stay you know up to date on what we've got in the future um because you know we'll we'll get lesser on again and uh, everyone else everyone else to tell their awesome stories. So I'm um, signing out with Lester Crafton. This was Nick Tiverde, co-host of the Ponytails podcast. Check us out next time and we'll see you there.
0: Bye. Bye Nick. Thank you.